Hello? Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fantastically well. Good. Not a care, not a care in the world. No, just uh, just relaxing, chillaxing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, yep. Checking my connection, doing some tests. Yeah. Alas, this is the life that we have chosen. <laughs> or is it the life that chose me? Ooh. You like it when I quote Jay-Z? I, I do it a lot, and I think people don't realize it sometimes. No, I do like. I do like. Okay. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to find the clean version of things on uh, on the uh, Apple Music. Because it feels like I always find the clean version when I want to listen to the normal version. Uh-huh. And then when I just want to play the blueprint for my daughter like a gentleman, I can never find a clean version. Oh, really? Yeah, and it kind of, it's a little much. But it's so good. She has to grow. She has to grow up with early Kanye West and most Jay Z. Don't you think? Isn't that kind of our responsibility as parents? Well, I mean, I, I think you know, and it's funny that you mention this because it's something I've been thinking about recently uh, a lot with with my kid. Is like how important music is, and hearing music, and hearing music in a right order, and when things build on other things. You know, like you 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 kind of have to teach them in in a progression. You think? And yeah, I th- I don't think you can just jump like and I'm not saying it has to be the same progression that we had when we were kids. Hmm. But I don't know like like you I feel like there has like you can't play Seals version of uh Fly Like an Eagle unless you've heard the original. Oh, my daughter would very much disagree. Because you're not going to appreciate it the same way, I think. Well, you won't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, okay, there's there's one very specific example of this that drives me bananas. Um, it's the lowest rated movie that I have in my personal Plex collection. I think it's like a 2.1. It's, a, it's an animated movie called Strange Magic. Have you seen Strange Magic? Hmm, I don't think it so. It might be up your daughter's alley. And it's, you know, it's fairies and stuff, and it's kind of gross. They did it on the flop house. It's not very good at okay. all. But you know, one of the one of the cornerstones of it is it's got a ton of covers of songs, classic and otherwise. Can't help falling in love. I'll never fall in love again. Three little birds, that annoying reggae song. I want to yeah. dance with somebody. Uh, and of course, you know the titular "Strange Magic." Uh, what else you got here? Tons of these. Uh, to every single one of these, she likes the one from "Strange Magic" better. So th- that might that might bolster your argument. Like, I guess I would put it this way. I don't know if it's better for her. I know it's better for me. The fact that she likes hearing, who is it in this case? Evan Rachel Wood and Alan Cumming singing Strange Magic in this movie more than she can even tolerate the ELO version. It, it makes me bristle a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I always, I don't know. Because I think it was still like the Beatles. And there was this time when I was like, oh, I should make her listen to the Beatles in order. And like, there were so many things wrong with that thought. Like I first you mean like make- the first album first and the second album next, or or just so one song at a time until the entire catalog has been completed? Alphabetically, preferably. Yeah. No, it was way worse and dumber than that because she's like two, and of course I'm 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 me, which is the worst. And I'm thinking like, oh, you know, it's time that she starts listening to the Beatles a lot so that she can become the person I need her to be. Right. <laughs> yes, that's, yes. That's the way it works when, right. you're, when you're a horrible person. Um, but I would think like you know for a long time like when we're driving around in the car we would listen to the White Album. And I, you know, what she didn't seem to have much of an opinion one way or another. But then I thought, oh my gosh, am I doing this wrong? Should I have her start with, you know, like Twist and Shout or whatever? And it's like, that is so mental. She has no concept of that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not like, it's not like trying to teach arithmetic. 
I don't know. She's got she's got her own taste for sure. She has great taste in some things in that she agrees with me and terrible taste in other things in that she does not agree with me. I I'm okay with with them having different musical preferences more now than I was a few years ago, but I have yet to he- for either of my kids to come to me with like a song that I just think is absolutely horrible that they love. Like that has not yet happened and they definitely have an appreciation especially my son who's more in he's more into music right now Mm -hmm. that he likes pretty much all the stuff that i liked like uh he'll you know when when my coming up in music time period which really was like late high school early college so anything i liked in high school and college he really likes it but but maybe because of familiarity from hearing it a lot you know I I try to not play stuff that was just that I liked. Like I I try to play him all genres. I try to play as much of everything that I can possibly play for him. You know, I really don't want to for him to just hear stuff I like. Obviously, I'm not going to play stuff I dislike, but I try to you know mix up. I'll do classical music. I'll do some classic rock and roll. We'll play some jazz. We'll play some, you know, everything. So he really has an understanding, and and we talk a lot about it. Like especially in the mornings on the way to school, I'll play one thing, and I'll say, you know, did you hear this this part in this one song? And he'll say, yeah. I'll say, well, listen to this song right here, and he'll be like, oh, that's really cool. Like, really, that's 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 so interesting. Yeah. So like like samples are especially fun. My daughter has zero, absolutely zero interest in those kinds of observations. Really? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And she's, she's, she's not an incurious child. She likes lots yeah, of things. Yeah, I was going to say, she's, she's like into well, everything. She's, she's fine. But, you know, it, but it's, uh, <laughs> no, but I, because, I, but the thing is, it's, it's important to remember, it's like anything, like you did that with, do that with most adults and they're going to stare blankly at you. Yeah. We're like, hey, 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 stop what you're doing and go pay attention to this thing I cared about a lot 30 years ago. And they're going to be like, oh, that's, that's great. Thanks. Is there anything else you want to share with me today? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Listen to this. Let me play DJ for another hour. Uh, but yeah, I don't have, there's nothing that comes up that's that, nothing terrible. And it, it helps a lot that like, it's okay for kids to listen to like most kinds of music today. Like when I was a little kid, you know, you were supposed to listen to like, you know, children's music, which is terrible. Most of it, um, made by scoundrels. I mean, it's only that's so much better than Christian rock. It's just <laughs> like, it's people who couldn't, couldn't, uh, achieve in a meritocracy. Uh, you know, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm not so good at rock. So let's put Christian in front of it. <laughs> my savior but for example like the thing that she likes a lot like right, right now that i'm not super into but it's not terrible is the soundtrack from that disney tv movie the, the descendants have you encountered the descendants no it's pretty popular it's um it's sort of like uh, i haven't watched it uh the movie uh, that's that's one that she gets to watch with mom because dad refuses to watch it oh yeah but it's, it's a little bit like the runaways where it's like the children of disney princesses and princesses princes and so they have this little group, you know, like it's the daughter of like Belle and the Beast. It's the daughter of, uh, I don't know, Woody and Bo Peep. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's all, it's all kids. Okay. That's not funny. She passed, man, too soon. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's a lot of that kind of Disney music. It's like, it's, you know, slightly sexy music for 11 year olds. <laughs> okay. It's one of my favorite Brian Eno albums. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, listen to music. Like, uh, you know, here's a good trick. Is like, if you make a kid pay attention to something, the one thing in the world that they will do is not pay attention to it. So you have to trick them. The child must be tricked. And okay. one way to do this is when you can anticipate 
that a child is going to come into the room, you let them catch you doing something that you didn't invite them to participate in. And they're like a cat. You know, like a cat has to come in the room and lay on the latest thing in the room. Same with kids. If you find yourself, if you do something, go like, and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? What's up? And, and, and uh, you just don't, you ignore them again, like a cat, then they might be interested. In my experience, my entire family ignores me as soon as I ask them to do anything. <laughs> like, I, I can't tell you how many times there's something like I do, I do a podcast about Top Chef. So for my work, I end up watching every episode of Top Chef two or three times. I still don't remember what happened. <laughs> we'll get to the time where I'm about to watch it for the third time. And everybody's like, yeah, I'm like, well, I, you know, you guys want to watch Top Chef? I don't really need to watch. And like, yeah, let's watch Top Chef. They're both looking at an iPad and I, I'm watching Top Chef. And I'm like, you know what? Pay attention to this. Here's the funny part. This is the telegraphing. You can't miss this. This is giant. He chose frozen waffles. You've got to see this part. That's huge. What's popular uh, as far as visual stuff around the house right now? Well, they found this show called Goosebumps. Yeah. Which is really bad, really bad. Like TV, forget it. Like music, we're all on the same page in my house. But TV, the, the stuff that they like, what my daughter likes is just... I just can't, I can't, there's some certain shows, it's not the yelling show anymore, fortunately, but there's just shows I just can't get into. Is that Dora? Yeah, Dora's the yelling show. She doesn't watch that, thank God now. But it's, there's other shows she watched I just can't, I cannot abide them at all. (laughs) And now they found Goosebumps. And see, because I have the two of them, and the boy is eight, the girl's four, they've, there's very few things they agree on right now. So there's always a war of what should be watched when, and we had a thing where it's like, you guys have to agree, or it can't be, or it can't be on. You can go in into the other room and you know relax in there, do reading or whatever, or drawing in there, but like you have to agree because I can't can't stand the fighting anymore. Can't you just arbitrarily pick it yourself? Can you say we're just we're just going to watch some season one Deadwood? No, they don't like what I like, and yeah. I would just have the aviator on repeating. He's got an hmm. Oscar now, so. Oh, that's right. He did win an Oscar. I watched the Oscars. Yeah. I went to an Oscar party. Did you really? Yeah. 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 It was like uh, in LA on the. the yeah. Thing, in, the in, in LA, Dan, I went to LA for an Oscar. That's party. awesome. Yeah. I know it was um, like everything I do is with, you know, now I'm in the cult now of parenthood. So I mostly do things with parents of people my, uh, my kid goes to school with. Oh, right. I happen I happen to like. Um, some of them are, are super cool. So uh, what was weird, though, was at the party I was at, I don't think more than a couple or three people had seen Fury Road. And they seemed, uh, and they'd heard of it, but they seemed a little bit confused about why I was winning so many awards. Well, I was shrieking with glee. Yeah. I was making the V8 with my fingers and going, witness me! Why is Merlin doing that? (laughs) Once again! (laughs) I love it so much. I I think, you know, something that's fascinating for me is is the whole selection process because it is such a mystery and it's one of those things where we as like regular viewers have no idea how people are being selected for you know best actor or how movies are being picked i mean it seems mm-hmm. very mysterious to me yeah it's been covered a lot lately and kind of revealing what a lot of people have i guess reckoned or known for a while which is that you know there's a lot of people in the academy who not to say just that they're old. There's nothing wrong with being old, but that there are a lot of people where the requirements to be able to vote, I don't know this super well, so forgive me, but I think the idea is that when you're in the academy, you get this certain window of time since the last time you put something out. But it's not inconceivable that you haven't really done anything professionally in a while, and now you're just a cranky old person who wants to see these kinds of movies win. I don't know. That's probably a little cynical, but they could definitely use some some fresh blood. But then, you know, at the same time, it's, 
I don't know. I love to see so much progressive stuff happening in all kinds of corners of America and elsewhere. It's it's really encouraging to see. But then at a certain point, you go like, well, you know, this is a really old institution. I mean, do you really want New Wave Night at the Catholic Church? Like, is that is that what people go to church for? Right. You know, like, you know, it's I don't know. I mean, they're not going to have key parties, you know, for Cub Scouts, God willing. So I mean, you know, there's a certain point where you go like, well, it's the Academy Awards. It's an industry award awarded by people in the industry and like you know it's always been a little bit of a circle jerk at least but it's you know what it is it's it's something where like today you just can't afford to be so completely tone deaf you know what i mean in the midst of you can't just you know cover your ears and hum while stuff is changing all around you and go like well we will choose to put on our steampunk hat and pretend that it's a different age <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Um, you know what? Uh, I, let me ask you this. You, do, do you have any new things you've been doing with your TV setup? Nope, nothing new. Oh, darn. Okay, good. We had, we had lots of great feedback on that, and I have skipped over most of it just because I'm kind of just going to stick where I am. But Well, I, I mean, my I have done research, but I've my research has indicated that I will probably not be getting anything because the solutions that look like they provide what I'm looking for are... Uh, are fairly that they, they do more. They all do a lot more than I want. Right. They're all in the like getting up to the three hundred dollar range, and it's which, all pieces and parts. It's all these little islands that you have to like find a ferry boat to connect. Don't you think? I mean, yeah. there's not really that many ways to cover more than one piece of the solution reliably. You know what I mean? Like you're going to need at least some new hardware, maybe at least two pieces of hardware. And if you have existing hardware, you're almost certainly going to need some software. And you know what I mean? It's like the, the, what, I, the, what I hear is, you know, shut your pie hole and just <laughs> go buy cable and a TiVo. Right. No, that basically that's the answer. It. That's the answer. Basically. The answer yeah. is uh, the, we don't have a solution for you. The solution for you is what you just said. Like go, go get cable and a DVR or a TiVo. If you want to record stuff. So I'm just, I'm over it. You know, like it, I thought, I felt to me like there was this really cool opportunity to like do something fun and like, yeah, I'm going to do, you know, uh, but I'll tell you what will be the cheapest solution for 300 bucks. Okay. I'm going to go and buy that hop edge, hop edge device. And I'm going to go and I'm going to get one of these mini Linux computers and I'm going to plug it in. I'll record it on Linux. Like, that's to me way more fun and interesting. And I have a, now a multi-purpose device that could run Plex and do a whole bunch of other things because it's simply the fact that it's the Mac that I can't. So maybe, so I, what I, what I did do. Yes. That I don't, yeah. I don't yeah, know if yeah. this is interesting to, to other humans or I think just this to me, is, but I think this is, I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt you except to say, I think this is actually quite interesting and it gets into a lot of stuff about what makes the current consumer tech landscape much more confusing than you realize. Like yeah. when you look, when you look at this from the outside, it seems pretty straightforward. But like I said, with my kind of mini rant at the end of the last episode, if you actually really walk through this entire process, if you to, to, to paraphrase John Syracuse, if you back solve from I have TV to watch, right? It's not nearly as simple <laughs> as an afternoon and a hundred bucks. Yeah, it's and, not. And by the way, now you're just okay. So now you're you're running Linux. It's like oh man, like so is that anyway? But keep, so keep going. But I, I've got some thoughts on this. Well, I mean, it, it's something that's kind of made me in a strange way kind of jump back into the the Linux world again. And I actually have here on the desk next to me a Mac Mini running Ubuntu 14.04 or something like that. And just to go back, not not to be boring, but like 
I started using Unix back in college, and we had like there was the Mac Lab, which was the cool lab. It was the one with all the the you know you had a chance of meeting the pretty girls in the Mac Lab. Then you had the PC Lab, which you know what that was, and then there was also the Unix Lab. And sometimes I had these programming assignments that I would just go to the Unix Lab. I could do them right there. So I learned I learned Unix. This is back in like ninety two, ninety ninety three, maybe. And so that's kind of where I, I I learned it. And then I remember like even in my early first jobs, like I remember when Slackware Linux came out and I was like, oh my gosh, I can have Unix like on a computer in my house. Like this is crazy. That must have seemed pretty wild. It was really wild. And then I found out about FreeBSD and I started using FreeBSD like professionally and building. I was building BSD machine servers for people and using them in the jobs that I did. And so like I've been in the like Linux and home home Unix uh, space for a really long time, but totally fell out of it the minute that uh, OS ten came out. Mm, mm, okay. You know, because yeah, I, I didn't. Mean, I, I could have a Mac. I could have a Mac, and I could get a shell with Bash so prompt many, and everything. I mean, I think about again people like Ben Trot, like people who had, who were really deep in development languages on a Unix like system. To to have that like on every Mac, it's you can't really. You can't underestimate how huge that was for bringing nerds to the oh, Apple yeah. world. Oh, I mean, it was it was it, it was absolutely one hundred percent the door opening for people who, until then, just had had no reason to consider a Mac at all because it was all you know clicks and 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 moving the mouse around a screen. And what they wanted was a shell prompt. They wanted to do things behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. once that really became like the cool thing to do. On a Mac, I had no reason to do Linux except uh, or BSD up on on the server, and it's been so long since. I mean, I was doing FVWM as the window manager, and now there's so. I think Enlightenment had just come out, and that's when I kind of got out of having this. I still had like a Spark machine on my desk at work when I was in the corporate world, but you know, like I had moved away from all of that stuff, and coming back to it now, you know, there's really wonderful desktop. Uh, environments that they don't call them window managers so much anymore. They're desktop environments. They're you know you get icons, you get uh, you get everything, and it's it's very different from what we have on the Mac. But it's renewed my interest in this a little bit, and hmm. you know I, it's funny because I was asking myself other than other than editing podcasts, there's nothing that's Mac specific that I do anymore. I'm not planning on switching, but it would just it occurred to me that like. My favorite text editors are on Linux. I can use the same fonts. I have the browsers that I like. I can connect with Dropbox. Like all of these things that I think of as my computing world, they're all there too. I, I still prefer OS ten in a big way, and I, 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 I'm not planning to go away from it, but it's we're really at that point now where like, oh, if I need to do a spreadsheet, well, that's Google Docs. Like that's where I'm going to do the spreadsheet. And it, it me actually going through all, uh, some of this, I think helped me understand more why the Chromebook is attractive to some, not to me, but to some people. And that it doesn't seem as far-fetched that we could have something where most of the work actually happens in a browser going up to the cloud somewhere. Like that, that seems like a real, a real thing. But having something like this in my home and being able to do it that way, like that's, like I don't feel like that's an unreasonable thing to do. It's like, yeah, I have a, a Linux machine. It's actually an old Mac mini that I have this hoppage thing plugged into because that's what's going to let me record stuff off TV and not not spend three hundred dollars on a monolithic device that just does one thing that I can't get access to. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. 
Hmm. Well, no, I'm just, I don't know. I just, it's, if you, if you just read the headlines, um, you know, from, from so many things about consumer technology, it, it feels like we are well into a revolutionary period of, of change and innovation and like untold amounts of, let, let's just put it this way. A lot of the stuff that felt like headlines in a, like almost like science fiction context, you know, 10 to 50 years ago, it feels really, really real yeah. right now. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and that, that, I mean, obviously all the stuff you can do on a smartphone or, you know, a, de- a handheld device. I mean, obviously that, that's all pretty bananas. That's, and it's maturing quickly. But I, I think in particular, uh, if you think about the stuff around TV and you get very quickly to thinking about what some people call the internet of things or smart yes, devices. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, think about the world of TV, though, where right now, the coin of the realm, or not the coin of the realm, what's the term? Right now, you kind of have to pick a primary device that's going to be your hub. Not, I mean, and even if you are a Linux hobbyist who is willing to buy a Linux computer and a device to watch TV, right? like, you, you're still going to have to reckon with a whole bunch of different stuff about, like, how, how those pieces fit together. So, like, John Sercusa talks about how, like, I think for him... He's got a plasma TV and he's got a TiVo and the TiVo is where most stuff happens because the TiVo lets you run all these apps. I've got a quote unquote smart TV that is not at all smart. Uh, I think its parents told that it, that it was smart for a long time and now it believes that. And it's got, it's got like dedicated buttons for Netflix and stuff like that on there. But like it's, it's, it's awful to use. The, our, our TV is like you, something you talked about now, you've had me thinking about it for a week, changing inputs. Yeah. Changing inputs is far from a no-look affair in my house because it has to be pointed at the right place. Right, it's, right. A little, it's a little bit blocked by the sound bar. So I've got to make sure it's pointed at the right place and I definitely want to verify that it went where I thought it went. That's not super fast. It's, not, it's just not fun to use this particular remote. So am I going to use my smart TV as the hub? Mm, no. no. I, I want to have my Apple TV be the hub. Mm-hmm. But even watching, like I told you, I mean, the $25 app and the $60 device I bought for watching broadcast TV on the Apple TV, I mean, it's it's like a board game about television. Like, you have to go to an area called channels and pick a channel and watch it. And then when you want to change it, you menu out and then change the channel, mm. right? If, especially if you just want to use the Apple device. And I, I know it sounds like I'm problematizing, and it sounds like I'm trying to make this more complicated than it is. If this doesn't seem complex, it's because you haven't spent a lot of time with it. Is, is my feeling. <laughs> right. Right. So, it, you know, it, it, again, now, well, could you want to go with the, the world of the Fire TV? Like, that could be a good thing. But you're still going to need to have, like, how are you going to control the volume? How are you going to do, there's, you still need the multiple remotes. Yes, I know. You could be somebody who is an over the top nerd who creates their own bespoke system from scratch to do all of this and I guess use a Raspberry Pi to go make the remote or whatever. But that's beyond 1% of people. It's just that from the outside, you go into one of those stores, you see that TV that's way, way too bright, and, and you go like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can do all of this stuff. But then the devil's in the details. Because once you really try and do all of that stuff, you realize there's all kinds of services you need to add on. You need to upgrade this package. Oh, what's the other one? The other obvious one would be like, a, say, a Comcast or I guess a Time Warner DVR, where that could be the center of your house, right? That could be the center of your like entertainment system. But every, I think every single one of those probably has something about it that either doesn't have a full sense of fit and finish or lacks a basic piece that you might really want. Right. So famously, Amazon Fire TV doesn't have Apple products. And as it stands right now, I have to imagine this will change. Apple TV does not have um, Amazon stuff. 
Netflix is everywhere. Like you can get Netflix on, you know, you get Netflix on your slide rule at this point. But, and the, the reason I mention all that is because like, okay, so, but we all understand how a TV works. We, m- mostly, we know that we, when we want to watch TV, we turn it on, flip the channels, turn the volume up and down. The internet of things, home automation, uh, smart devices, that stuff, it seems like it's blowing up but it's blowing up in like in like two million different little garbage fires. Yeah, like each one of these things, like they, they don't really talk to each other. You you, I mean, like if like I bought some Hue lights and I tried the the, the, the Philips oh, yeah. Hue system, which works great until someone in your house turns off the light, and now you don't have smart lights anymore. Like if you want to put a Hue light into a legacy device, you can either leave it on all the time and literally use your iPhone to turn your lights on and off. Right because you get to control the temperature of the light. Or if your kid decides to turn on a light in the morning or turn it off at night, like now it's not a smart device anymore. Right. And then on top, I don't know whatever happened with HomeKit and that bright future, but like all this stuff does not talk to each other unless now what do you do? So now you're a hobbyist inside of a hobbyist. You say like, I want a way to be able to control. I want my nest to like understand that when I'm nearby, do this and et cetera. Now pretty soon you're getting into this whole world of looking at Wink. You're looking at IFTTT, all these different things. I can use my, uh, my Amazon Echo to do lots of things, but Almost all of these devices make a connection and a half. Yes. They make a connection to, say, an app on your phone. They have a connection, then they have another kind of connection, maybe it goes to a cloud thing. There might be an API-ish integration via something like IFTT, but there's not a standard for any of this stuff. It doesn't all work together. No. And in a world of legacy devices, you, you just end up with a lot of costly stuff that can't talk to each other. It's like 17 different meetings are happening in your house at the same time. <laughs> So I, I, I don't know. I, it's funny because like I, I, I'm like, I don't think I'm necessarily that much smarter than the average bear, but I've tried several of these things now. I've tried smart things, Wemo, Hue, uh, Canary, wow. Dropcam. These are all things I'm, I use now or have used. I don't use the smart things anymore because it was just kind of a dead end. Wemo at this point is just a little bit better than the timer my my mom had on a light in 1978 <laughs> the wemo detects when i'm in the office and turns on my lights the iphone app detects when i've left and turns it off that's really cool right i can say i can tell alexa to turn these things on and off that's all great but you know what i mean by the one and a half connections there's not it isn't it isn't like for example you can go out somewhere and buy a power strip and know that it will work with pretty much any standard 110 you know plug it's so not the case with any of this stuff but i, I wonder if i'm the only person that gets frustrated by the the illusion of finish to these things or the illusion of ease where it's like there's all these asterisks to all these things. And I, I don't mean to sound like John Roderick here because I do think this is very exciting and very powerful. But Well, I always no, hear, not, not to interrupt you, I'm agreeing with no, you no. In, in a sense of like, you mentioned IFTTT and, and things like that. And like, I've had people come to me and say, oh, I've got, you know, these lights hooked up to the thing and I've got this thing here and this IFT and I wrote a script to this and I found this one. There's this great archive of scripts. I tried like eight of them and I found one that worked really well and like to me, they're like, isn't that cool? I'm actually like, you know what? Like it's cool in a sense, but no, it's not really cool. Like what's really cool would just be I walked into my house and my phone knew what to do because it 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 told you know, my proximity told the house that I was there and so everything just happened. Like that's cool. What's not cool is having to set all of this stuff up yourself. That's cool in a I built a really awesome you know, scale model of the Millennium Falcon, like that's cool. But I don't, I don't want to have to put in that kind of time and effort and attention to detail to like get my lights to turn on at the right time. And I don't think we've had much of a conversation about like Nest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't, no, I don't think so. I don't really want 
an artificial intelligence controlling my thermostat. I, I really want to do that manually, and maybe that's old-fashioned. But mine's programmable, so I have like three or four different times in the day that I can tell, tell it you know, what, what to do during those different times, to be warmer or colder or whatever. But I don't, wanna, I don't want something making that kind of decision for me. And people are like, why not? It's great. I'm like, well, it's great until there's a problem with it. And there's, I would rather not have running water in the house than not have air conditioning. I live in Texas. So like for me, that's, that's not, we had our air conditioning go out. I think we talked about it. It was like the worst two or three nights of my life since I moved here in Texas. I would rather have the flu again. Mm-hmm. It was just miserable. You, you can't get comfortable. And you, what are you going to get a hotel? No. You know what I mean? Like you've got a family. So like, and I know people whose nests have uh, gone kaput for one reason or another. I had a problem. Now I'm, I'm picking on the nest, but it's, it's all of this kind of thing where we're in, we're trying to build this kind of automation for something that's, it's more of a novelty and it's not really that broken. Like ter- hitting a switch on a wall when I walk into a room and hitting it again when I leave it's it's not equivalent to like you know go, going to fetch water three miles away. It's not that big of right, a deal right, to right. do it, you know. Right. Yeah, I I am finding that my thoughts on this are changing very quickly, um, based on certain little thought experiments I do with myself. Um, I, I agree with you. Like you know, having a Honeywell th- th- um, thermostat that you understand is. <clears throat> it's not a bad thing. And it's a system you want to have work. There's all kinds of things. Something we talked about this week on the Dalrymple Report, uh, we were talking about things like uh, just how automated te- technology can help or hinder or whatever. And I don't know, I found myself trying to make a case with Jim to say, you know, it wasn't more than even like a year or two ago that I thought self-driving cars sounded like the stupidest, forgive me for rehashing this, but not that makes sense. No, I love, I love this topic. But, <laughs> but I said um, that I, self-driving cars seemed that most people have this, I feel like most people have two reactions to self-driving cars. The second reaction is, hey, I like driving a car. And the first reaction is, there's absolutely no way that this car could conduct itself better on the road than a smart driver like me. Mm. Um, and I think both of those are very backward looking. The, the, one, the one way of looking backward is to say that, well, you think you're going to be banned from driving? This is not going to be a red barchetta type situation. It's still going to be okay for you to drive a car in the right. same way that you could choose to make your own couch. It's just we don't really need to make our own couch anymore. We have people that make couches now. But the first part, I think it's important to understand that when we think about self-driving cars, in the same way that we laugh at VR goggles or we laughed at the Newton, you look at all these things and you go, relax. Like, did you ever see what the very first ideas for a car would look like? And that turned out pretty well. Yeah. It's just that what we're looking at is this brand new idea of something that is, it's, not, it's barely even an infant. It's more like an egg at this point. Yeah. But can you, have you seen the visualizations of let's let's go from the idea of a self-driving car that will certainly kill everybody on the road, <laughs> and also let's mention how much that sounds like everybody in the 19-teens, um, to an idea of like what happens in years from now where those are truly smart self-driving cars, whatever they end up being called, where they can interact with each other in the same way that an Ethernet network interacts. Your data doesn't crash into each other because there's a system for making sure it doesn't crash into each other. You use the internet, and that doesn't confuse you. That doesn't seem dangerous. You can have, you know, you can have gigabit internet near your house. Are you worried there's going to be an explosion because of all the data? No. Are you worried you're going to walk into the library and all the books are going to fall on your head? Ah, too much information. Like, no, because what's going to happen if you've ever seen these visualizations of what it can look like, even at a legacy four-way stop, if every car is a self-driving car, all you need to do, and I'll find that for notes if you want, all you need to do is go and look at that visualization to understand what this really means. Because what this really means is that, you know what? 
computers actually are better at this than you, especially when they're talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of stuff. It's just that right now it is, it's with the internet of things or I hate that name, but it is, it's so gimmicky and there's so many asterisks to it. And you know, it's, there's obviously there's the silliness of like, do I need a Samsung refrigerator with a big iPad on it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I don't want to laugh too hard at that because who knows what that'll be in a few years. That might be super cool. Uh, or you look at something like, what was the other example? You know, think about stuff like, you know, you have these devices that are based on a 100, a century year old idea of how electric works, which is that there's a, there's a little plug in a socket and then an on and off switch. Well, you know, like you're saying to your point, you don't want to go too crazy with stuff like what, like a space heater? Like, you know, do you know that you've really turned it off? Are you, is one person relying on the automation at the box level to turn it off. Well, another person is, you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what does off mean in the age of the internet of things is, is an idea that I think we're still really chewing on. I'm going to send you this visualization yeah. to look at, and yeah. I would love to hear about something that you like. I would love to tell you about FreshBooks. If you're a freelancer or small business owner, if you're someone who is, you know, who cares basically about getting paid, they make it possible for you to do that and to save a ton of time. They make creating invoices really, really simple. And by simple, I mean it takes like seconds or less to create and send a really professional, really polished looking invoice. And this is a tool that we've used for years, many, many years before they were a sponsor. It's, you know, it's really a great service. It makes it so easy to just get in there. And this is how we build for all the podcasts that we do, you know, like, okay, we're, we have, I use FreshBooks to invoice FreshBooks. And it's really cool because I could just go and I, I have line items for each one. I type it in, it adds all the stuff up. And when I hit send, it goes to the contacts that I've put in. I can send it to one person over there. I could send it to a handful of people. What's really cool is I get to see when they've opened it. I get to see when they, when they received it, when they looked at it. And if you want, you can even accept payments over there. You can use Stripe, you can use PayPal, whatever you want. They've integrated with it. So it makes it easy not just to send those invoices, but also to get paid and to get paid faster. There's a little link that says like pay here and you just click it and, and you get paid. It's, it's kind of amazing. But here's the thing, something you need to know, you don't need to be a numbers person to use FreshBooks. The whole thing has been designed for people like me who don't like dealing with numbers. Okay, so I'm not interested in that. This tells you exactly how much do you're owed, how much you need to get paid. It can send out automatic reminders for you. There's a mobile app that I'm really into. Somebody emailed me and they're like, oh, I, we didn't get uh, an invoice for you uh, from last month. And I said, oh, you know what? I have it in draft mode. I'll send it right now. Boom. Update it. Did it all right from the phone. You can even take pictures of your receipts. You tell the app who a client is and, uh, and what category it belongs in. Boom. You upload your receipt and they handle your expenses now. Like everything is thought of and it's an amazing, amazing service. Really, really friendly folks who are there with, you know, to, to help you. You talk to a real human being. Try it out. They made a special URL, freshbooks.com slash back to work. All listeners of this show will get 30 days free to try it out. Freshbooks.com slash back to work. Don't forget to enter back to work in the how did you hear about a section. That's how we get credit for it. And go check it out. You won't regret it. Freshbooks.com slash back to work. Thanks, FreshBooks. Buck, buck. I sent you um, a link to this Vimeo video in the, uh, the robot. I see it. Just have a look at that and see if that at all changes your thoughts about what it means to be in a self-driving vehicle. 
All right, loading loading it up right now. Because cars at a stop have to do lots of independent thinking without really knowing what anybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Look at that. All right, hold on. It's, it's, it's loading up. And this, and this is with a four-way stop. This is not even with something like a or, you know, four-way intersection. It's not even like with something as glorious as a traffic circle where I imagine this thing could be potentially even more efficient. What I have to, you don't want to know what I have to do. Oh, I'm sorry. So basically what this is showing is it's showing two lanes of traffic in two directions. And whereas normally, you know, in, a, in, in normal situations, you'd have to stop. And if you think about a four-way stop situation, you know, whoever arrived first goes next, barring arriving at the same time, in which case the person on the right goes first. Please learn this, America. Uh, but every, basically everybody has to stop because we're all operating independently. What this animation is showing is that if and when cars are able to communicate with each other, there's no need, if they all drive at a reasonable speed, there's no need for any of them to slow down, let alone stop at an intersection. They will move perfectly uh, safely around each other. Oh, that's nice. Again, think about the internet. Think, I mean, I may, maybe I'm beating this analogy to death, but, you know, that's if you think about, you know, efficient routing and, I don't know, checksums or w- whatever is used to make sure that, you know, Cat5 works. I anyway. found a really weird bug. I want to tell you about it. Can is, I tell you really, about it? Uh, yeah, are you changing the subject? No, I, I, we can just, it's a, seg, it's a segment that I want to uh, do. Okay. Uh, so you, you sent me that link and I screen share over to the Skype machine that you're on and I copied it. And you know how screen sharing lets you share the clipboard? I copied, copied the link and went back over it and pasted it into a Chrome window, crashed Chrome, pasted it into a Safari window, crashed Safari. Isn't think- that great? Isn't that great? I think there were some changes. There's been a lot of problems with this update that a lot of people got their Ethernet screwed up. Something Ugh, happened. It's a nightmare. I know, I'm pretty sure also something happened with the keychain remotely. <laughs> so it might be something related to that. But that's that's no good, boss. Nah, it's no good. That, anyway, that's what was happening when I was trying to. And still am trying to open this link. Uh, anyway, you can look at it later. But, um, yeah. So actually, I don't know that, you know, when you think about where we're headed, though, we're definitely headed in that direction of, you know, let's take the things that are kind of mundane and, and should just work and and making them just work. And we're at such an early stage of all of this. When you think about like where our content is and how we have to get to our content, we've talked about that many times on the show of all these different devices that we have, all of these different machines that we have, you know, like I have two iPads now. I have the iPad Pro and I have an iPad Air 2. And I find that I, you know, I'm I'm... I was very excited about the iPad Pro when it came out, but now for using it mostly, my daughter's using it to color and draw with now. Like that's what it's become, which is an incredible waste of 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 a good device, but it's too big for me to bring around most places, you know. And I was surprised; it took me a while to get there. But bigger doesn't always mean better. Oh no, no! Actually, we talked about that this week too. How I'm kind of I'm not ready to give up on the iPad Pro, but it's definitely not what I reach for first. But, you know, I think to, in order to, I don't know, I, I, this is something I'm talking about a lot lately because it's, it's, this is a new idea to me and it's a somewhat revolutionary idea that is very much at odds with what I had previously considered a very sensible way to think about life. So if I'm saying this a lot, it's just because I'm something, it's something that I'm excited about and it's helping me think differently in a way that I think be, might be smarter than how I was thinking about things, which is to understand the progress of things like technology writ large on a much longer scale than just how this helps you do a thing that you've done for the last five years. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we're going to have full wisdom about any of this stuff, but I mean, you know, if, if you're a villager 
in the year 1000 and you go to whatever your local equivalent of a witch doctor is, you know, or, you know, somebody who's the shaman or whatever, and you go there and you say like, oh man, I, I, I'm bewitched with this, uh, <laughs> with this really rattling headache. Right. Could, could you give me uh, six magic beans to make it feel better? And, and the witch doctor says, well, booga booga, here's the thing. I actually have these really super powered magic beans that I'm going to give you, you're only going to need three of these. And also uh, what we'll eventually call IQ will go up for you. And you're going to be like, that's fantastic. Because I've really had it with this headache and this bewitchment. Thank you very much for this. And, and then at the same time, the witch doctor goes, oh, and by the way, uh, the thing that keeps killing people in uh, your family is called dysentery. And uh, we're going to have a way to take care of that at some point. And the villagers would probably say, whoa, 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 slow down. Let's just deal with my headache here. Like, let's not get too crazy about this futurism where my family's not going to have to poop to death anymore. You just stay focused on the magic beans because that's the stuff that I, that I come here for, right? Really ridiculous analogy. But how far is that off of where we are in every like one to three year cycle where we're constantly reminding every technology company what they need to do to make us feel confident at something we've done the same way for 20 years. And then when something new comes along, most of us tend to go like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the end of the world. You know, I, I, I wish I could, I, I know, I, you know what, I'm glad I don't keep track of this. There's a part of me that thinks like, I want to start keeping track of people who pre-announce how many things they're going to quit, whether that's Twitter or America, <laughs> based on something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like you can have, this is, we're in an age now where we have the technology and the will to create about a petition about making something not happen that hasn't happened yet. And it's not even been announced, which is which just, that's a brilliant use of the technology. But, you know, we do somehow survive all of this stuff. And to really, I think, you know, it's so easy, especially when you get to a certain age, when you get to my age, it's mm. so easy to just point and laugh and go, I can't believe that you need, what are you trying to do? You're going to make a television, you're going to make a television set out of pearl? Like, do you really need that? Like, why don't you just go to the old fashioned way? It's like, well, because that's not how history works. And that's not how the future works. The way the future works is that we eventually realize this part and this piece and this connection and this thing and this cultural change, like before we realize it, that's caused something different to happen. And if we always stay focused on just that one piece or part and how we've always used it, mm -hmm. that's not innovation. People are so excited about innovation if it means that they're going to get a faster way to play Angry Birds. But like, it, think about the long view of this. And, you know, and the, the frustrating part is it's nice to say that now that I've gotten that information, I can sit here and be an armchair futurist. Well, guess what? I can't. Even futurists are notoriously terrible at it. But they at least have the ability to look at it on a longer historical scale and to say that, like, and I, I, you know, maybe, you know what this is? This is maybe a little bit of the James Burke in me and, like, shows like, uh, you know, The Day the Universe Changed or Connections. Like, I'm just, I'm so fascinated with a retrospective view of how completely unrelated culture, society, and technology interacted to make something that no one could have ever predicted. And that almost everybody in a previous generation would have thought was heretical and dangerous. Mm. So that's all I'm saying. So, that's, you know, that's all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so it's, you know, I, but, uh, but on the other hand, the way I will point and laugh is I think it, there's such a land grab right now in stuff like the Internet of Things. Because who doesn't want to live in the Jetsons house? You know, there is this part of all of us, or for that matter, the Flintstones house. Like you want to have birds playing your records for you. That's exciting. It's a living. <laughs> but, but the but the the problem is that like the what you see on the tin is not necessarily what you're going to decant into your household, and like it's it's you know you run into all of these crazy barriers right now. If you bought like every B plus cool device that's available right now, 
I bet there are not many TVs that have enough HDMI ports for you to be able to accommodate that, let alone the amount. I mean, for example, um, you know, a really good podcast I've been enjoying is um, Control Walt Delete with um, Walt Mossberg and Neil I. Patel. And they talked this week about this new ra- router, the Eero. Have you heard about this? Mm, is it the well, little well, thing it's, that's Eero, supposed to be sort of smart and you can put multiple ones in your house and they all talk to each that's other? That's probably it, yeah. So the Eero, I mean, you can buy one, but basically the idea is you buy three for $499. Oh my God, who right. spent that much money on baby boo Okay, relax, Johnny. Why would you spend $2,000 on a computer, dummy? Your PC works fine for spreadsheets. Anyway, you buy this thing in a, in a set of three. The first one is really, and it's apparently really smart. You turn it on. The first one that you turn on is where you plug it into the world. And it then identifies that that is the primary uh, router. Then there are two other routers that you put around your house. This, I guess they say that, you know, you can, most houses, you can like fill a whole house with this mesh network. It'll even like, I guess, hint you on where is a good place to put the second one and then the third one. That's neat. It does a mesh network. There's no lights blinking on this thing. It just works. There's this app. It does reports. It figures things out. It's got a cloud. This cloud integration thing. Anyway, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm going to buy one today, but uh, I thought it was super interesting because think about the limitations of like, do you ever go in and look at how many devices you have on your wireless network? It's the worst. I bet you have so many more things on your network than you think about. And, you know, you might, I don't know, I'm just saying, like, there's all these little pieces of the infrastructure have to catch up. And each time a new one comes along, you know, we either think it's going to be the savior for the world or the worst thing that's ever happened. It's like, what a dummy. Who's right. going to spend that on that? Sure. You know? Now, I remember before, you know, Wi-Fi networks were both fast and ubiquitous that people would, you know, put Ethernet, including me, would wire Ethernet in their houses, you know, so that you could plug your computer in. Even though it might have wireless, you would still want to plug it in because plugging it in, you are going to get so much faster. And now, like the days of people saying, "Well, I don't know, everyone went." Well, I have almost everything plugged in here in my in my office. The only thing that's not plugged in is my laptop and obviously my like my phone. But all of the other computers that we have, they're all hardwired. Except until this new Mac update broke broke that, that uh, it really would have been scary. a good idea. You know, so scary. Did you you heard about that, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw in a, in a Slack channel, Jason Snell was talking about how, like, he was, you know, working on something and it just suddenly just, like, died. It sounds like it was kind of just silently died. Suddenly, right. Ethernet does not work anymore. Did that happen to you? No, I haven't. I, I haven't installed that update. So, I, you know, I usually wait a few weeks before I install any kind of update. And because of things like this that can happen where, you know, apparently you can set a machine to auto-update itself. And so if you happen to have a wired machine that was sitting there that didn't have Wi-Fi, it would run this update on its own by itself and maybe even reboot itself and you'd come back and the machine would be inaccessible. That would be an even worse situation than if it was the machine that was in front of you. Right. And it doesn't happen a lot, but like things like that still happen, you know? But the idea of like putting holes in your wall and running cable up your wall and into your ceiling and around your house so that you could use a computer in a different room and use the internet on that computer. Like, that seems so old-fashioned. The idea that you can't just make a call from a certain part of your house because, you know, the, the cell phone range is out. Like, that was a normal problem, you know? Like, well, you can't, you can't, can't take it in the living room because it's plugged in over there in the kitchen and that's too far and your cell phone won't, won't reach, you know, like the signal. Right. Well, here, here's another one is that... Um... I started using a Mac 
other people's Macs, like at my school yeah. in 1987. Uh, and I think there must have been some like Apple Talk connectivity because we were able to print and stuff right. like that. Right. But there was no, as far as I'm aware, in college, there was not like a file server or anything. But and there was no way to like, you know, you weren't using the computers to talk to other computers for other people. Right. I got a, got a job where we had approximately 30 Macintosh network on Apple Talk and what's the other one? Um, but it's where you use the serial port and you plug in the little RJ whatever to it. Um, and in that case, I remember at some point, maybe 1993, we got Microsoft Mail. Uh, but it was not. And so I had, what, how, what would that be, 87 to 93? I mean, something like five, six, seven years of using a Mac. And, and just about the last thing in the world that would occur to me is being able to use whatever the internet is. Because I didn't have it. I didn't yeah, know about it. Right. I mean, I, I guess I'd heard of it the same way I've heard of like the Illuminati, but I didn't have any books about it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this internet that I can't get sure sounds interesting because it was, it was magic. Like, well, how would I ever have that? I mean, that's, it's so bizarre. I didn't even have, I didn't have the computer that, that could do that. I didn't have the connections. I didn't have any of this. I wouldn't even know how to begin is all I'm trying to say. But you know what? Uh, that was a gold, golden period for me. That period was like, that's when I fell in love with using a Mac. And Syracuse and I talked about this on Reconcilable Differences. It's so funny to think about how many years you used a computer that was not on a network. And think about everything you do. I know, I realize this is a stretch, but follow me. You know, I fell in love with using that computer when it wasn't connected to anything. Everything I did was with floppy disks or yep. eventually a hard drive. Right. Or, you know, you know, even so eventually even at our office, we didn't have the internet. You had to use the Hayes modem to do that. Sure. You could get to a file server. Uh, you could get to two or three printers. Uh, but it didn't feel hobbled at all. I, 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 you know what I mean? It's just that no, my I mean, imagination I, I, was, un, was constrained totally. by, by not knowing what it could do. And now today, I can't imagine, like, for example, you and I had a little trouble uh, getting connected um, earlier. Right. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, you know, what can I really do on this thing when it's not connected? I guess I'd listen to music, which is the same thing that I could have done in, like, 1960. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're absolutely right. I totally, I think you're making a really good point. And one of the things that, I was thinking about as you were talking about this is networks, the way I remember them originally, they were for file sharing. Like that's how we at first were able to say, oh, I've made this file. I need to, to give it to you. We could put it on a floppy and, you know, use the sneaker net, we used to call it, or we could just copy it over the network. We could do file sharing. It would slow down the whole network. The whole if you network. Sent a big file, it would, you, we would use FileMaker Pro. Oh, this is so dumb. I don't know if you remember FileMaker Pro. Sure. FileMaker Pro, well, it would famously, if there was any app that you had, you had to keep your hands out of its mouth, it was FileMaker Pro. FileMaker Pro, when it crashed, it crashed colossally. <laughs> you had to always close the database and then quit. It was the, we had to tell everybody there, look, I know you've been on Macs before. You think quitting is the same thing as close and quit. Listen, it's really important for you to understand you must close the database before you quit. And we were using it over a network. So mm. the entire network, just go, the whole thing would just grind to a halt. It's, but yeah, that was in the bullets. In the bullets for using a Mac, even in the early 90s, networking was, sure, it was there. But it wasn't anywhere near the top, at least no, in my usage. No. And I mean, people don't remember. Like, I, I had... The mo the in a, in a company where we probably had seventy to eighty people, I had the only modem in my computer in the company, and we they actually my boss because I was building the website and were and doing doing the email for the company, 
that uh, that I I got to use this modem. So he had a line put in, and the line had two jacks: one in the vice president of the company, one in his office, and one going to where my cube was because I was on like the opposite end of the wall. So we both couldn't be online at the t- at the same time, which was fine because he only did it once a day, like for like fifteen minutes in the afternoon. And so the rest of the day, I could be online if I wanted to. I could dial up. Oh my goodness! And I, I in and like. It wasn't even to the point where people were jealous of this because they just didn't know what it meant or what they were missing. You know, like it, I would be in like IRC talking about Unix stuff and like that kind of thing. And it's almost like like other people would think, oh, Dan has this secret room that like we think of as a closet, but only he secretly knows is actually a series of palaces. That's when I go through this door, I am not standing in the broom closet. Like I am in a completely different world. Yeah. It it was, and no one, no, it's like it, no one knew no one knew to be jealous of it yeah uh it was just so it was so funny thinking back but like that wasn't i i remember one of i'm just having flashbacks of all these funny little jobs i used to do back in these days is i used to have a uucp uh machine running in my house that would unit UUCP for people who don't remember this, it's called you stood for Unix to Unix copy. And what would happen is I had a friend who had a was lucky enough to have a computer that was always on the internet. He had it uh at you know at the at the it was on a T1. And what would happen is I my computer, which was running FreeBSD at the time, it would use the dial-up modem this sat at home. It would dial up modem. It would use UUCP to send email to that computer system that was always on the internet, which would then send the email out to my ISP and and send the email. And it was a UUCP gateway for email for me to send email from my house from one of several computers that we had there, which was the only way to do this kind of a thing. It was a mail server and it would deliver mail. And then people would send me email to my domain and it would go back down, queue up on his UCP machine until mine dialed up and contacted his and said, hey, is there any mail for me? And it would say, yes, here's mail for, for these people. And it would send it. And I had other computers that would dial up to my phone line on my computer and relay the mail out to the internet, to the world for them. Jimmy. And like, this sounds insane, but like, this is how we used to do stuff. And, and when companies found out about this, they would hire me to build them a UCP relay in their office so that like more than just one person in the office could send email at a time they would have a mail server right there but no one's no one has a mail server that's like dialed up to the internet no one had like internet all day going it'll be like giving everybody their own elevator (laughs) that's right like no one had like we have the internet on all the time there was a long period of time where you might have the internet but like it wasn't just on like you would have to connect right to use it well, they're and then, like, I mean, like, for lack of a better word, slots. Yeah. Right? Or, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, you wouldn't have, you know, a, a, you know, a phone line for everybody in the house. So you'd share the phone line. When you use the phone line, you're done using it and someone else could use it. It's so crazy. It's so crazy where we came from and what we have now and what we just take for granted. I couldn't even, you said you could listen to music if you had no internet connection. I used only Spotify now. I couldn't listen to anything. Well, no, the joke that I was making that's not going to make any sense was that like my first impulse when I go, oh, can't use the internet, what should I do? I could watch a movie or I could listen to music. What I'm saying is I could do the equivalent of putting on an album. (laughs) Right. I see. Is what I mean. Like, you know, like there's not, and you know, 
something you talk about, a lot of people talk about is like, there's so many, you think about services like Slack and Google Docs, you know, um, and Google, you know, things like Gmail. It is, it is really cool that for something like what, 40 to 90% of what a person does, you could do that on any device if you had an internet connection in the password. Right, right, right. That, that's really cool. But, you know, remember how much better Google used to be about like caching stuff offline? Mm-hmm. Where it used to be, I want to say, was it Google News would cache offline? Was it Google News? Or no, Docs, Google Docs. But some of their, their, I remember at a point I relied very heavily on being able to have cached versions of stuff from Google. And I, it almost feels like a fever dream, but then that just went away. They just don't do that anymore. Yeah, I don't. I think that's because just internet connections are everywhere now. I mean, that's just everyone has it, and there's always a fallback of some kind somewhere. It's just everywhere, and it really is. You know, on that day where you get the internet is out at your office or at your home or something, you really realize quickly just how much you depend on it to get. Like for us, people like us, like to get work done. You know, you how how important it is and how much we rely on it and how we feel like crippled without it, which I don't or, like. Or yeah, no, not at all. But also this morning, I mean I'm, my analogies are falling apart today, but I know it's almost like, you know, if you got if you had internet and it went away, that can feel hellish. But the other thing that can feel like purgatory is like today we're like, I'm not sure if the internet is working. That that can be really frustrating too, right? <laughs> right? I'm not even sure if I can log into Comcast to do the troubleshooting. Like, you know, where this hmm, Overcast is loading kind of slow. Is he doing something with, you know, Linode? What, what's happening with that? Or I go to here and I run speed tests. Speed tests is coming up slow. And so all the time to take out all the rattles and the beads and start like restarting everything. That that's you know, that's still the same way of solving a problem that we solved it, you know, <laughs> in nineteen eighty seven in some right. ways. Sure. Uh we're an hour in. You should tell me about something else you like. Oh, yeah, I could do that. I mean, yeah, the same thing. Just what we do to the gophers. <laughs> you know, what's the exact line? We don't even need a reason. What does he say? Uh, I'll find out. Yeah, fine. I think he says we don't, we don't even need a reason. Casper, online retailer premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Here's the problem with the mattress industry, let me tell you. Oh, pack a lunch, buddy. They have a lot of problems. Forced consumers to pay notoriously high markups. And it's insane. And Casper, they're coming in, they're cracking skulls, and they're <laughs> revolutionizing the mattress industry by, industry by cutting costs. So you don't have to deal with resellers. You don't have to deal with showrooms. And by this money that they've saved and not having all that, they pass it on to us. The Casper mattress itself is a, be- is a thing of beauty. It's one of a kind thing. It's a hybrid mattress it combines premium latex foam with memory foam i've had an experience with the full-on memory foam i i don't like the full-on memory foam so when i originally was going to try out a casper i was a little leery because i don't like the memory foam it doesn't feel like a memory foam it takes the best of what you get with a memory foam which is something that's forgiving no matter like what your body type or shape or weight or whatever size is combines it with regular latex foam that we're all used to and you get, the, you get the best experience of all, the most comfortable bed you've probably ever uh, had, but you're getting it for a, such a small price compared to these insane showroom prices. 500 bucks for a twin-size mattress, 950 for a king. That's outrageously affordable. And here's the deal. If you don't like it, you get to try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days. Technically, it's, as Merlin would say, it's 100 yes, nights. 100 nights, yeah. Free delivery, painless returns if you don't like it. I think the reason they're willing to do the 100-day thing is because they know you're going to like it. 
I wonder how many returns they get. I tried mine. I absolutely loved it. My kid tried it. He's like, this is what I want. Best bet. I think you're really, really going to like it. You're going to get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to our special URL, casper.com slash back to work, casper.com slash back to work. And the code, all one word, back to work. Uh, Go check it out. Save yourself 50 bucks. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much to Casper for supporting 5x5 and the back to work program with Merlin Mann. And Benjamin, I uh, have had a reminder in my list for over a week to buy one of their pillows. Oh, they've got pillows now. That's right. They got pillows now. They got sheets. Syracuse says it's a really good pillow. So I, I, I could do that. Is he like you, a pillow guy too? Oh, he's a big pillow guy. He's got a, got a whole review he's writing on it. The other ones you couldn't even sit in. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so but if they wanted to send me one of those, that would be fine too. I'll um, tell them that. We, why, don't we, why don't we have Grace? Grace. Why Grace. don't we have any pillows here? Sandy says, I want, to kill, I want you to kill every golfer on the course. Carl says, uh, check me if I'm wrong here, Sandy, but uh, if I kill all the golfers, uh, they're going to lock me up and throw away the key. <laughs> Sandy says, golfers, you great git. Not golfers, the little brown furry rodents. Carl says, uh, oh, we can do that. Uh, we don't even have to have reason. <laughs> so good. <laughs> the quote and the video clip is in show notes. Dan, <clears throat> Dan, Dan, and as much as you're comfortable and able to say, where would people <laughs> find show notes for episode diggity 261? Of your back to work program. Ah, they can go to five by five dot TV slash B as in brethren, two is in the number, W is in walrus, slash two six one. Two six one. Meta Metafilter just got their gopher server uh, back up. You remember gopher? Do you were you a big gopher, gopher user? Gopher was my go to. I was a go to gopher user. That was my favorite <laughs> app. That that's what kept me up at night. <laughs> gopher did. Oh, I would just sit there. Gopher. Oh my god. I loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> another another list, another list. Select three. Oh, another list. Select four. <laughs> it was so fun. Um, um, People today have it so easy. Oh, they really, today, really do. They're, they're Chevy Checker and their droopy pants. All the lemonade they can drink. <laughs> That's right. Automobiles they can eat in one bite. Uh, I got lots of little bits of follow-up. Uh, I want to promote something that I was very, very happy to do that I've been promoting a lot because I want people to hear it because uh, it was fun to do and I love this program. Uh, I was on uh, Anthony Johnston's program, um, Unjustly Maligned. Uh, yesterday, the episode came out. And so Ant- Anthony uh, wanted to do something special for February 29th, the day that should not exist. So whereas normally, Unjustly Maligned is a fantastic show, UMP.FM, fantastic show for people coming on to defend something that almost everybody but them hates. I did it for the Watchmen movie. I did a terrible job please and thank you. But for this particular episode, for the day that should not exist, uh, we did a segment called Justly Praised, and we talked about the albums of the early R.E.M. And, the uh, early R.E.M. R.E.M. comma early, as he says, making a Chronic Town joke. Like three people will get. But uh, yeah, so we talked, we basically spazzed out about discovering R.E.M. and what it meant to us. And, you know, to in my words, like, Everybody I knew that liked R.E.M. thought of it as their band. Had a very, you know, everybody's got those bands in their life where they feel like anybody else is like who's cool is allowed to like it, but it's your band and they better not change. So please check that out. It's at UMP.FM. It's also in show notes. Uh, we talked about R.E.M. and he puts in lots of, lots of great clips. We talked about what brought us in, what, you know, when we drifted, how we felt. We talked about the production. We talked about the bands related, the bands we learned about from listening to R.E.M. I'm very happy to have done this show uh, because Anthony is great. He does fantastic comics. He has another great podcast also, as long as I'm promoting Anthony, called Thrash It Out, where each week he and his buddy talk about a heavy metal album. 
and that's really good too. Learn lots of good bands from them. Please check out uh, this week's episode of Unjustly Milan, UMP.FM. Check it out. It's really good. Other things to promote. Uh, last night, Max Temkin posted something on Medium, Medium uh, about uh, his amazing guide, mostly to food in Japan, how to do Japan. And uh, that's in show notes. Max Temkin, my pal from uh, Cards Against Humanity, uh, wrote a wonderful and very funny piece. Max has been posting great stuff on uh, the Medium website. He has a guide to uh, a couple different Star Trek programs, how to get into it. And then he wrote a great guide on how to do Japan. I'm very intimidated by Japan, Jan. Uh, Dan. Dan, Why? do I call you Jan? I called you, you can Jan. call me whatever you like. Just don't call me late for chow, am I right? <clears throat> Why, uh, why are you intimidated? Very are you old. going there? No. Do you have a trip planned? No, I don't go anywhere. I go to an Oscar party. I come home, go to sleep like a gentleman. Just drive to LA. Why not? Just drive to LA. Monk, monk. <laughs> I take the cable car down there. <laughs> Stop on. Is that the Marta? Huh? Oh, it's called Marta. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the one that goes out to Buckhead. Yes. <laughs> Ah, little, how'd you get an invite little, to a to a big party like that? Five points. Oh, I imagine I was CC'd around with like seven hundred. No, <laughs> no, this this the person who invited us. This she's really smart. Yeah, she's uh she and her husband are they're both architects. Do you have a book fair at your school? We have all of the fairs. Because my What's kid just uh, had uh, some like kind a scholastic, of... or like a scholastic thing, or like sure, a... yeah. No, you don't. You don't mean just the flyer you fill out. No, where where they have a they take a room at the school and they put all the books into it, but you buy them, you go in there and oh, you yeah, buy. Oh yeah, we've them. we've had that. Sure, sure, sure. He had a thing uh, where they had this, and I I thought you know what? Here's the perfect experiment. I'm gonna just give him some money and trust him, <laughs> and see what happens if he comes huh. back with just toys. To- toys that happen to have a book associated with them. <laughs> All right. That's what I've discovered a lot of. Yeah. Oh, you've got a little detective kit? That's not really a book. <laughs> I would have bought the same thing, but I'm just saying. I'm not right, sure. right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I wanted to uh, I wanted to see what he would do. So we get, and, and my wife's like, well, how much do you think we should give him? I'm like, I don't know. I'm thinking like five bucks. She's like, 20 bucks? I'm like, yes, let's give him 20 bucks and see what he gets. Because he's, he's really into reading now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, we gave him 20 bucks and he came back. I, I couldn't believe it. He bought books. He bought like a, one legit book that was like at his level that had cool drawings in it and it told stories and it's, most, it's mostly words. I was super impressed. And then things started to fall apart. He got a Ninjago workbook just because he wanted the ninjago lego guy and then uh and then one other thing i do approve of though he got one of those you know those pens we used to have when we were kids that have multiple colors in them and you can click it down they've come a long way with those things is that right and he got a real good one that has like a little not i don't know if you call it what's the thing like when you're um you're you're like scaling a a mountain and you have the little clips with this not a uh, carabiner yeah, it has like that built into Everything's the handle. Everything's got a carabiner now. It's pretty cool. It's like calculators were in the early 80s. They're just everywhere. <laughs> you want to carabiner with right. that? You remember that? They Welcome just the Chipotle. Look, Did it's got like a, calculator? a calculator, solar-powered calculator built right in. I got a free Jerry Falwell calculator. They were just giving away calculators. They gave a Jerry Falwell calculator. Sparked eight I did it ironically because I was high. Calories don't count when you're high. Sparked eight in the chat room is saying they're called multi pens. Multi pens. Multi pen. Lilu Dallas. Multi pen. 
Lilu Dallas, Multipass. The movie's still good. Still holds oh, up. The movie's so good. The guy at the door with the gun, like, oh my god, it's I good. It so I don't it's know good. why you hate it so much. Oh come on, do you don't, still don't, like it? I thought you hated that movie. Why do you make fake controversies? It's not a turn on. Well, no. I'm, I'm glad to know you liked it. I'm serious. I thought you didn't like that one. I forgot. I That's forgot. Bananas. That movie's a delight. Okay, good, good. Hmm. Uh, who so was it? Now that. it's going to bug me. Who was it? Didn't that doesn't like it that I know that I can't be friends with? I would assume it's Syracuse. Okay. I also added more. Uh, for, well, let me ask you this, Dan. As follow up, did you did you check out any of the tumblers? Yes, at which, I, at um, which I pointed you. Hopelessly, uh, I lost the rest of that whole day. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, it. My favorite. Hold on, I've got to. I've got to go in and see. My favorite is loading up right now. Seventies sci-fi or seventies like sci-fi art. Yeah, out of all of them, was my favorite. And every day, something really, really great is on there, including these great sci-fi, like not comics, but just books. Like Hugo winner from 1972. It's, it's right. so amazing. What we thought of the future back then was so cool. Well, and there, in some ways, there, some of the 70s covers are more 60s looking in some ways. They're a little more like, you know, like when Jack Kirby got weird and, and he started doing more and more like super colorful, like, like fluorescent colors mm-hmm. in his drawings. He was doing more and more things. Like, you go, oh, Jack Kirby, he made an ultimate nullifier. That thing's kind of wacky looking. He did more and more like lysergic drawings of these incredibly detailed robots and Real trippy stuff. Um, but anyway, like, yeah, you're right. A lot of it, it seems very influenced by stuff like Dune, stuff like psychedelic art. You see yeah. these crazy looking things. I'm glad you like that. I love it. Thank you for finding those. It's something that's so unexpected to find. And I think it's Tumblr that makes it possible, really. I got three more for you today. Okay. Um, this is a really easy one. I, I almost unsubscribe from this every time I look at it because it makes me mad. Check out Rich Kids of Instagram. And it's just horrible young people on Instagram, us uh, being rich. I like it already. That's really annoying. A uh, great one called uh, Terrible Real Estate Photographs. <laughs> and this is at uh, com. Uh, and it's just what it sounds like. It's they're they're absolutely incredible. Like things you cannot believe somebody put. You know, this is exactly what it's for. Like like Craigslist mirrors or crazy walls. This is like what Tumblr is for. Um, and maybe one of my favorite sites of all time. It's a terrible, wonderful site called Liar Town USA. <laughs> and you can find Liar Town in many different places. Um, but just follow you can see in show notes there, Dan. But if you go to Liar Town USA, this person is very, very funny. What does this person do? This person makes fake things. And there's lots of people on the internet who make fake things, but nobody makes fake things as funny as Liar Town does. Oh, man. Uh, do you, you see... Let me find this one and put it in for you. Uh, okay, so here's, here's one. Yeah, just a moment here. Oh, yeah. Can I put this in... Oh, you won't see it if I put it in the robot. Will you see if I put it in notes? Is that better? Uh, I'll see it on, on messages. I'll see it in, in notes, yeah. Oh, okay. Both of those. There's one from Wiretown. Looking now. Oh man. That's so this is this is a fabrication. Oh yeah, this is just so th- in this case it's a uh, fake viewmaster reel called Carol. <laughs> 21 three-dimensional. Uh with this this woman looking very angry and smoking a cigarette. Bakersfield, oh, California, 1977. Here's some of the slides in her in her viewmaster. Meet the change jar. Uh the the cops are back. <laughs> Corningware collection. The dog wants to come in, oh let Carol God. hold the baby, fight with Pete, 
and yard sale day three. <laughs> uh, laundry oh. night, visiting Jerry in the hospital, smoking eggs. I like this. <laughs> These goddamn cats. And I others. like this. So anyway, uh, Liartown. So that's some of my, uh, my pick hits for the week. Liartown is really, really funny. I've only got one thing to add, which is the miserable men. It's miserable underscore men uh, Instagram that's, account. That was that was pretty funny. I, I'm not on the Instagram, but you sent me that and it made me laugh. It's you just can like see men. It. Yeah, you can see it right there in a, in a web browser. But this is sort of the the concept of the man who has accompanied his significant Someone other. Made usually, this man go shopping. Right, and he's he is seated in a chair or <laughs> stool or in or some bench. cases a bench or on top of a pile of of charcoal or something. Where he's sitting, waiting, and holding the woman's bags. Often sleeping. Often sleeping, or just sort of <laughs> staring off, holding <laughs> holding his phone in his hand, staring well, look forward. Look at the last one. These guys on this blue bench with this just look of despair. Oh, it's, it's a hilarious Instagram. I highly recommend it. You don't need to be on Instagram. Just go to the website to look at it. But it's international, too. They have, they have men... Uh, in Italy and Japan and all all around, so this seems to be a universal phenomenon. There's one where I feel the most bad. There's a, an, an older gentleman who has just given up, and he's sitting on the floor next to the cart. Oh gosh, it's great stuff. This this one guy standing there in the palm tree shirt, holding the blue box. <laughs> he's just like, oh my god! You can just tell he's just like, Jesus, take me now. Yeah, take me now. I don't care how much it hurts. Just let me leave this. Let me let me <laughs> let me shake off this mortal mortal coil. <laughs> Just literally anything. Just I, I, you pick the way. I don't care. Just take me. Make the, make it end. Uh, <laughs> my, my grandpa was like this. He'd go straight to the mall, sit his butt down, and just talk about how terrible people were. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that! They look happy. Oh, they yeah. look so happy. They're by the panties. Look yeah. at that. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> what else we got? Um, we don't have that much more about tea. Oh no, we're running out of stuff. Uh, I do have some great feedback from people, but also uh, I think we should. Uh, well. As you know, we got we got we got a very special email this week from somebody who thinks that uh, their their author and us uh, that, that our that our visions align. Oh yeah, because the aligning visions. Yeah, let's hear yeah. it. No, no, no. Oh, you don't want to. You don't. No, do no, that? no. I'm not going to reward these people. These are these are these are garbage people. We can't read their emails. Okay. Right. Uh, well, a little bit of feedback. Uh, listener Glenn says a quick thank you for our, uh, an earlier episode in which you discussed wreck this journal. Uh, you right. remember Re Reckless Journal is a really cool book for adults or even kids. And it's a book where the whole idea is you write in it, you spit in it, you tear it apart, you roll it down a hill. It's a book about learning to be comfortable with just doing whatever with, with your little piece of paper or your notebook. So uh, Glenn says, thank you for that. Uh, he says, I got one, the fancy duct tape edition for my wife. She's a language arts teacher and she absolutely loved it. Another chance to just recommend that book. Um, can you really call it a book? I mean, it's a book shaped thing. But it is it is really fun, and I, especially for a little kid, I think it's a great way to start off life going like it's okay to take my words or my drawings or my exacto knife cuts and do whatever I want with this book because it is mine. There are many like it, but this one is mine. I shall put that in notes. So uh, one of our uh, listeners in the chat room, uh, Chris May, says also check out <laughs> say. Save for webclaws.tumblr.com, which is pictures of keystrokes to save for web in Adobe products. So I'm adding that. That's a fun what? one. What? Showing the strange hand positions that you need to take on in order to oh, initiate the save for web. <laughs> I'd love to see that for Emacs. Oh my gosh. 
Oh my gosh, this is good. Oh, oh no, oh no, it hurts. It's like playing on a tiny sad piano. <laughs> That's me when I change mode in TextMate. Right, to change to, to change to markdown mode, I somehow screwed up my bindings and now it doesn't know what needs to be marked down. And I have to do control, option, shift with my left hand. <laughs> I think I might be arthritic. I have oh, to make this man. tiny little claw. Are you oh using one of those uh are you using one of those keyboards the new ones with like the blue or the green key switches and the old fashioned are you into that now? Uh no. No. Well, okay, I'll, got, I'll send got you a some. Sauce, I got a Logitech. I'll send you some links. Okay. I don't oh, know if you put gonna... your own color keys on? Well, I think you can, but there it's oh. it's a whole thing that a developer friend of mine has gotten oh. me into that's you know causing me a lot of time. Hmm. Hmm. Causing me time. Mm-hmm. What else we got? Uh, so thank you to listener Glenn, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Listener Keith says, uh, have you guys thought about creating a podcast about raising kids and fatherhood, perhaps with a tech focus? I'll speak for myself. Thank you, Keith. Yes, I have thought of it, and I've roundly rejected it. Have you thought about that, Dan? I, I feel like I've seen a lot of people asking you to do a parenting podcast. Yeah, I I love the idea of doing it. I just feel like no one should be taking parenting advice from me and i think what what the show would have to be would be some kind of com you know commiserating about being a parent and i just i don't know what the appeal for that would be but i always enjoy our talks about it and i enjoy listening back later to older episodes where we've talked about things that we're experiencing with with our kids i don't know I don't know if it's a whole show, though. Oh, God, no. I mean, it's a great idea, listener Keith. And there are, there are good ones out there. There are people who do very you know, funny shows about having kids and struggling with being a parent. But first of all, it has a built-in limited appeal in the sense that, well, it's, I've, I've, we've received, I have to tell you, candidly, uh, listeners, we've gotten a lot of nice notes from people. Certainly there are people who are like, you know, the parenting stuff isn't that interesting to me, which is fine. Uh, but a lot of people say, like, I enjoy that even though I'm not a parent and have no intention of being a parent. Uh, which is great. That means you're right in the wheelhouse. Like, if you enjoy it, thank you so much. Uh, I'm not sure there's that many, that that many people, especially who are single, that are going to go listen to a show about that's about parenting. Right. I mean, you know, Irma Bombeck had her day. Dad jokes are a thing. <laughs> yeah. But like, I I couldn't see myself doing that. And I'm like you. I, I feel like I'm such a terrible example of it. Ugh. The Ugh. worst. So that's listener Keith. Uh, did you want to tell me about, uh, we got a couple other things here, but did you want to tell me about, uh, another thing you like? Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, uh, talk to the people and that's what they want to know. They want to know about, are you going to talk to the slides, Dan? Let me talk. Let me talk. Speaking of talking to the slides. Mm. Oh, 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 I I just threw to you, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Oh yeah. A lot of people don't realize how important talking to the slides can be, Mm. but the reality of it is there are a lot of situations where you want to make a presentation, where you want to convey some information, you want to share your screen. Maybe you're a designer or a developer and you're building something you want to show it to other folks. Maybe you are doing like a legit straight up, I did a presentation, I did a proposal, and I'm going to give this to my audience, but I need to do it in a way that is professional. Maybe these are clients. Maybe these are client people I want to be clients. Maybe these are people who have paid me money to learn something, right? Well, how do you how do you do this in a professional way? Do you go and use like a million different tools online? No, you probably don't because none of them are really that good at working together. What you want is you want to give some kind of like little seminar. Well, that's where GoToWebinar comes in. GoToWebinar is by Citrix. Citrix 
GoToWebinar. They make all these apps that make sharing stuff really easy. And GoToWebinar is, is, fits really well into this family of apps. Here's how it works. You pick your topic. You select your audience. You schedule your event. From there, GoToWebinar will automatically email everyone on your list. They're going to send out reminders as your date approaches. When it's time to present, you basically just hit record, turn on your webcam, share your screen, and that's it. When you're done, the perfect recording, you post it right there online. Anyone who missed it, you can invite them to view it. It's just, it's a super slick, super integrated application. They've got all the stuff built in, on-screen polls, interactive surveys, real-time engagement feedback, all the stuff that you need to keep your audience engaged, keep them interested in what you're talking about. And here's what you do. Start at GoToWebinar, that is GoToWebinar.com to learn more. Thank you very much to GoToWebinar.com for supporting this program. Man, Crazy Walls. Uh, Phil has added a lot of good stuff. Oh, to Crazy Walls. Um, One Hour Photo, I think was one of the last ones we saw. Since then, what are some other ones he's added? Simpsons. This one for this movie, Super, looks amazing. It looks so crazy. Eye in the Sky, X-Files. What's this one? Everything is illuminated. It looks like plastic bottles on the wall. Toothbrushes, scraps of paper. Oh, my God. (gasps) This is so creepy. Which one? Everything is illuminated. Jonathan obsessively collects items from his family, from toothbrushes to retainers, to scraps of paper, which he then seals in Ziploc bags and pins to a wall in his house to record his family history. Do you oh have a goodness. crazy wall? Yeah. What's on it? Um, my daughter's drawings. Yeah. That's not and, that crazy. And then, then some That's thoughts just on them. called being a parent. Thoughts on, some thoughts on what the Jews are doing. And I, 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 make, <laughs> oh. I, make, I make yarn. I make yarn going between them. Uh-huh. You've seen my wall. I haven't seen your wall. You want to send a picture? Yeah, I want to see the wall. I'll I'll make for you a photo. Lulu Dallas Multipass. All right, I'm going backwards. I'm clicking. I'm clicking. Uh, It's kind of embarrassing because some of this stuff, it's pretty old. This is not a good photo by any stretch, but... I look, you, have, you know, you, it, I, I I can't see you having a crazy wall. It doesn't seem like how you'd roll. Well, I think there's the thing about a crazy wall is it does not. It's it's not like a linear thinking kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like it it's it's kind of a, a collage. It's a brainstorming wall. It's a, it's a way to connect things that don't have connections normally, or that or seeing things that you don't necessarily see. That's not that's not crazy. That's an admiration wall. It's an admiration wall. Yeah. I love <clears throat> this. <clears throat> um Look at so, this. Yeah. It's a little chaotic. I'm just enjoying this. I love this. Oh okay, okay, I take it back then. Yes, we, we have a crazy wall in our house then. If you're yeah, putting our, this our in the crazy wall space, then yes, we definitely have one. I'll, I'll yeah. send you a picture this evening. All right, I would love that. Um Let's see here. This might be a little bit. Before I get into this, do you have anything else you wanna you wanna bring up? I don't wanna. No, no. Uh, I just I thought this was, this was an interesting thing from Donald. I have not thought about this answer, but I think it's a very good question. Listener Donald says, multiple times on the podcast, you make reference to being advocates and followers of David Allen's getting things done. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if it's strictly true, but I take I take his point. Um, but it is in the historical sense. You seem to have pulled out 
some essence of his practices and morph them into whatever, what works for you. I would love to hear your decision process of what led you to GTD and what led you away or 43 folders or any other thought technology you've employed to bring sanity to your life. Mm. Why do you adopt something and then move on? Is it like fad diets or did you find flaws in the approach? I would enjoy hearing this, hear you hash this out, as I'm sure it's not a simple answer. I think that was a very good question from listener Donald. Great question. Yeah. I think, you know, historically, uh, I, it's probably been more me than you. I, I wouldn't think of you as an advocate for GTD. No, it's been all you. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm happy to espouse on this. Do you have, do you have any thoughts? No, please, please do. Because everything that I know about GTD, I've learned from you on this program. See, I don't have a very satisfying answer to this. Uh, Except to say that GTD was uh, unbelievably, unbelievably helpful to me in very specific and real and practical ways when I first got into it circa 2003, mm-hmm. 2000, had to be 2003. But, <clears throat> you know, uh, learning about that book, reading about that, it really, it, it was, it seemed so sensible and it's, it was, it was such a perfect f- system for, f- how can I put this? I used to say that, you know, you know, like when you're a project manager, you know, your job is to be the glass, not the water. Like you have an important role in defining these different walls or, you know, boundaries in an area where they're, if you just leave things to their own devices without any kind of project management, like it's crazy that anything gets done. Yeah. Like once you bring in a project manager, you know, or anybody in that role as a coordinator, however you want to think about it, once you bring in somebody, how can I put this? Once you bring in somebody whose job it is to not be strictly a practitioner of anything but making sure that things are getting done um, on time, on budget, you know, within resources, all that kind of stuff. You start to, it starts to seem kind of crazy that you never did it that way. And in some ways, GTD may, felt like project, having already been a project manager at that point, GTD felt like project management for how I work because it, it was a way of saying like all these things that used to feel uh, chaotic, uh, uncontrollable, uh, and impossible to understand, let alone govern, right. could actually be dealt with. By which I mean things like feeling overwhelmed by email, um, feeling like you got too much junk and clutter in your house, um, feeling really put upon by the people around you. I think very importantly, feeling disorganized and having this overwhelming sense of like, oh, there's, I've really got to get my poop together here. So, I mean, anybody who's ever had that feeling, you, you, know, you know that really sucks. And yeah. it makes it difficult to get anything accomplished. And what GTD does is, amongst other things, is helps to understand that there is... GTD gets kind of famous for a lot of the implementation points. What it, I think unfairly doesn't get as much credit for is changing the way that you think about the way that you work. Um, and it may be what makes people think it's kind of a cult, but you realize how much of what you're doing in G before you do GTD, it, one might wonder a lot about how anything gets accomplished. Cause there's so much stuff that's kind of on your mind. There's so much stuff that you have some level of commitment to. And, and the thing is before GTD comes along, you may not think of it this way. You just go, Oh, I'm busy. Right. What, what does it mean to be busy? And how long do you want to be busy? How long can you tolerate being busy? Because most people's definition of busy is, I have way more stuff than I can understand, let alone do. And that's probably how it'll be forever until I have a heart attack and die. Right. And with GTD, I think part of it is saying like, well, no, this is all, it is all, even if it's not all doable, it is certainly all knowable. And in fact, there's a responsibility that you have have to accept, which is that you need to decide 
what is going to be in your world and what you're going to do about it and when. So I realize I'm being very abstract here, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a pity that GTD is famous as this cult for people who like lists and apps and stuff like that. You know, one of the best things that GTD does is to say that like, if, you're, if it's still on your mind, it's not getting done. So where do you put that to make sure that it gets done? And that's where you get into the process. And there's, there's way more to it than this. But in a nut, the idea in GTD is that you can take all of that stuff that's floating around in your brain. And by putting it on a piece of paper or in a text file or whatever, you can then make decisions about what the desirable outcomes in your life are. So, you know, there's, there's, in my, this is, this is my editorializing here, but there are two big errors people tend to make in trying to be productive. One is that they come up with goals and ideas for projects that are almost completely untethered to where they are right now, where they've been in the past. And then they get frustrated that that stuff's not doable, right? So you see like, oh, I've decided I'm going to become a professional folk singer next month. Well, is there anything in your past that leads you to believe that that's a sane career decision? Well, no, but you know, that's a thing I really want. Okay. So you can either get lost in the clouds with these high-level ideas that are utterly untethered from how you actually are as a human being. Or, more often is the case, you become incredibly mired in all the minor details of stuff you're dealing with. So instead of seeing your desk as a place where you could do something awesome, all you see is a ton of paper that you haven't done enough stuff with, and you feel terrible, and you see missed appointments, and you see rescheduled things, and you spend every day fearing that somebody's going to yell at you, Hmm. and now you're, you're in the weeds. So those are two extremes, but what's nice is there, there, there can be a, I don't know if it's even a middle ground. It's almost really a different game, which is to say that like, look, the first thing I got to do is realize everything that I'm kind of thinking about or have some level of commitment to. Most of us have one to six things, I would say, that you could say I am very much committed to. Whether I like it or not, this is stuff that has to get done. I have to pay the mortgage. I have to pick the kid up at school. Uh, you know, I've got to make sure the card, whatever it is. There are all those things that you're committed to. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're kind of committed to. So there's all these little projects and tasks that are like, oh man, I know there's something in my life about tires and I know I feel bad about it. Right. What is tires? What does that mean? And a lot of times you don't take the time to think about it. You spend enough time to fuss about it and then it goes right back into that same undifferentiated pile of stuff that's mostly just on your mind. You're not doing something about retirement. I know I need to retire. I know I need to think about, I need to think about like, what am I going to do with all, all my kids' books that she doesn't read anymore? Like, oh man, if I don't, there's that leak that we get when it rains really, really hard that we don't get when it only rains a little bit. Should I just not think about it until the next time that it rains really, really hard? Well, here's a trick. is It's very difficult to not think about that stuff. It's always going to just keep popping up like this multiplayer game of whack-a-mole where until you make a decision about like essentially starting out by saying, here's all this stuff that is kind of on my mind that I have some level of commitment to. And here's all these things I have zero commitment to, but I'd love to do. Why don't I put all that in one place? And then out of that derive some outcomes that I'd like to have. So instead of of waking up in the middle of the night with a cold sweat saying the word tires, go, oh, I need to go to Costco and buy new tires. I could do that this weekend. So the physical activity is I need, in order to get the desired outcome of my car doesn't blow off the road because the treads on my tires are 10 years old, that project becomes get new tires. What do I have to do to get new tires? Oh, uh, I got to find out if those tires are in stock. Okay, which tires? Oh, the tires that I have in my car. Do I know the, the model and the make and all that? Yeah, I've got that. Okay. So what do you do? You call Costco or you check on the website. Okay. Do you have the Costco phone number? Uh, no. Okay. So this is why you have the word tires in your mind because you never realize that tires is really about a phone number. <laughs> That's what GTD is. GTD is going like, what is the next physical activity that I need to do on any number of these innumerable projects in order to 
get or keep it in motion. And once, and so now I'm skipping over a huge amount of the implementation, but the basic idea is, the very basic idea is to get to where you have a reviewable set of projects that you are working on and a set of physical activities associated with it. And every new piece of information that comes into your life, regardless of how important it is, regardless of how urgent it is, regardless of how timely it is, it gets the same amount of attention and to the extent possible, a one-time decision about what to do about it, which might in 80% of the cases be, I'm not going to do it but you've made that decision once. And my favorite David Allen quote is, you know, you should never have to think a thought more than once unless it's a thought that you enjoy thinking. Mm. So that's GTD and that's the appeal of GTD. Um, and then there's a lot more to it. There is like basically a workflow and a system having inboxes in your life that you process on a regular basis. You process that into these different buckets and decide what to do about it. You learn to keep your compost in a different drawer than your silverware, basically. Mm -hmm. You stop having this giant pile of this knotted yarn in your head that you hope you're keeping straight. Try to put stuff into sane places. Review it on a regular basis. And then think about these different levels in your life. Like there's the runway level of stuff that I need to do like before I leave the office today, all the way up to like, why do I think I'm on the planet? And you can go to any of those levels and then make, like, for example, just because you're not ready to retire for 20 years doesn't mean it's not on your mind. If that's on your mind, even if it's not something you have to do today, where do you put that to be able to keep thinking about it in a way that's sensible? Well, that's GCD in a nutshell. Why do you think that there haven't, or maybe there have, and I don't know, so I'd be curious to, to hear that too. Why do you think that this still GTD is, is the most famous and, and probably popular solution for this? Is it because it's essentially perfect? Is it because there isn't a better way to think about it? In other words, I haven't heard of like competing solutions for this. It always kind of comes back to GTD. Am I just ignorant of the others? Well, I don't, I don't know if I agree with the premise, but I do take your point um, in that it does seem like, whereas with something like diets, there's a new diet that comes around every few years or there's a new way of working out. Right. You know, how many people are still going to Tybo right now? Whereas there was a time when everybody was going to Tybo. Yeah. Like people do the CrossFit now. And yeah. like that's like the new Scientology. Yeah. So like, the, but there are these things that come along or, you know, like you can only eat green vegetables in the afternoon or whatever. Like there's some diet that comes along. Uh, so what is it about GTD? Well, I don't know about, about the premise that it's like the most enduring or famous or perfect. But what I will say is one reason I think it has staying power is it answers a lot of problems. It answers a handful of problems you know you have and then even some problems you didn't realize you had. So most people go into, like, for example, there's not that many people who go to AA because they don't have something to do at night and they've never had a drink. <laughs> they go there because they need AA. Right. People don't spend six hours in an emergency room because they like People Magazine from last month. They go there because they need something taken care of. The reason people come to GTD is usually they're at the end of their rope and they're going like, I'm overwhelmed with stuff that I have to do. I'm dropping the ball and I'm starting to get a little bit worried about my mental and physical health. Right. That's a very common thing. And you, people will turn you on to GTD and say, check out this book. And it's, you know, in a very approachable style. So as far as the reasons, the first reason is that from the time you pick up the book and start reading it, and it's, it's, a, very, it's a very gettable book. It's, I think it's, it's very direct and clear. You get the point of what this is. You get the point of like having what he calls mind like water, which is you know, like if you go out to a pond, a pond does not just get agitated because it thought a thought. A pond gets, ag gets agitated because a stone was thrown in it. And then it, water moves exactly as much as it needs to move to accommodate a stone that was thrown at it. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to being still. So like, wouldn't it be great? How do you get to where your mind can be like that? That you're not agitating your own pond all the time. So the book has, I think, a very sensible introduction. Like the first third of that book is amazing. 
Because like by the time you're through the first third of the book, you're like, of course I'm going to do this. There's, what else could possibly make sense? So it has an appeal to somebody who's feeling very desperate and sad and um, anxious and all of those things. And even before you implement it, you go, okay, I, I, this is not the end of the world. Like I can deal with this. Second, it's extremely sticky because once you do start implementing GTD, there's a lot to do. And it's a big time commitment. And a lot of people just say, oh no, I can't spend three to five days getting into GTD because I'm too busy, mm -hmm. right? Which is like exactly the kind of thing you say when your car is spinning off the road because you didn't get new tires. Right. But once you get absorbed in that, part of it is the, the productivity porn of buying things like label makers and folders and stuff like that. But yeah. that's, you know, that's part of just the, the fish food that gets you interested in it. But it is very absorbing. And you, even after a day or two of this, you find yourself thinking differently. In the same way that cleaning out clutter at first, it's extremely painful, but soon becomes intoxicating. Like you, you want to go find more things to throw out because you're so excited about getting rid of that. So it's easy to it's easy to get excited about and see how it works. It's it's very sticky once you get going with it, and I think really even for the first few weeks, you ride on a certain high of feeling like you're almost invincible. Like there's so much that you can accomplish with this. You know, even as you may start to realize there is like a, mm, a fair amount of maintenance involved. So like if you're doing GTD, I think one of David Allen's points, and once you get to sort of an intermediate even level is if you're not doing regular reviews, you're not doing GTD. You're, you're like me doing a um, kind of a buffet Catholic approach to GTD and doing <laughs> pieces and parts. But GTD is not GTD unless you have regular reviews built in. And a review can feel like a real pain in the butt, whether you're doing great or whether you're doing poorly. But that's setting aside even up to like half a day, but at least a few hours to go through every single thing in your project list, every single thing in your task list. Is there anything that I haven't thought about? Is there anything I should be thinking about? And it's, it can feel like drudgery unless you get into a habit. That's where people start to fall off. Because if you're not doing that, you will find holes in the system. Suddenly you don't have one inbox anymore. You've slid back into having two or three inboxes. Suddenly you're not being as good as making sure that your calendar is up to date. And that's where people slide. Um... I think that's why it endures is because if you're willing to commit to it, it is a system that really, really works. I'm just not willing to commit to it these days. Really? I think. Yeah, and it's not, I don't even know how to say that without it sounding like I'm trying to slag it off because I'm not. If you're in a situation where you're feeling really overwhelmed, you could do a lot worse than doing GTD. It's just that, I don't know. I mean, there's still so much of it that I do, it's, there's so much of it that's in my bones at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outcome-based thinking or, or project-based thinking. It's just the idea that if you take on a project, a project is any desired outcome that has more than two physical actions associated with it, right? So if you think that really encompasses like probably what, 80, excluding basic infrastructure tasks like carry trash out, that's probably 80 or 90% of what you do. And you could have 75, you could have 600 projects if you break it down in the right way, but you know, not to where it's stupid. It's brilliant. Like that's, I will never not think that way anymore. Which means that when I take on a new project, I have a very clear idea in mind about what it means to do that and what success will look like when it's done. And then that idea of the next action, which is saying like, in order to keep this thing going, here's the next physical activity I have to do. I don't need to know all 30 things I might need to do for this. I need an updated idea of what the next action is. But even, like here's the thing, and here's the trick if you're laughing and rolling your eyes about this, think about something as simple as taking out the trash. Okay, take out the trash, that's, that's, I mean, that's so dumb. What could be more simple then take out the trash. So play along with me. This is a Socratic yeah, bit. I'm ready. Okay. Is it trash day today? Oh, no. No, tra trash day is, uh, is, is Monday night. Trash day was last night. 
oh, okay, so what do you need to do about trash today? Uh, nothing, but I definitely got to remember to take that out on Monday night. Okay, so why are you thinking about it on Tuesday? Because it's a thing I got to do. Right. Okay, so if you needed to mow your lawn while you're on a plane, are you going to be sobbing? No, that's where the idea of context and dates come in. So you say like context, these are opportunities or tools or constraints or just things that, that can and should only be done at certain times. So part of it is learning to look at your job, both in terms of projects and in terms of context. Projects are outcomes. Contexts are tools and opportunities to do that. So if your phone battery has died, guess what? No matter how much you want it or will it, you probably can't make a phone call unless you go borrow someone's phone. Okay, are there other things you can do? Yes, I could do these reading things. I could do these writing things. I could do these other kinds of things. You see where I'm going with this. So let's go back to that dumb example of trash and how stupid are you to have something called the trash project? Well, so you don't have to think about that now. Well, do you want to think about it all week? Nope, sure don't. Okay, so maybe you need a reminder to take out trash every Monday night. Yep, sure do. Let me ask you a question as long as we're here, though. Uh, do you, uh, when's the last time you bought trash bags? Do you have trash bags? Oh, no, that's right. We got that new um, simple human thing. I need to get trash liners for. Oh, oh, so you got a new trash can, but you got those, uh, get those trash bags, right? No, no. Why didn't you get them? <laughs> Just, you know, it's not Monday. Okay. Do you know which ones to get? Because, you know, the Simple Human, that has to be a special size bag. Nope, didn't do that. Okay. Do you know which model number of Simple Human garbage can you have? Nope. Got a way you can find it out? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Here's what, you see where I'm going with this. It's like there, there's a reason you're not doing stuff. There's two reasons you're not doing stuff. You just don't care and you never will do it. Or you haven't thought about it enough to know what the next action is. That's procrastination. Procrastination is your mind has moved on and you could care less and you're fooling yourself because you feel bad about saying, no, you're not actually going to do this thing. Or you haven't thought about it quite enough to know what the next physical action is. So like, I don't know, like once you, once you face that for six hours with dealing with your work, it's very difficult to go back to, oh, I don't know. I assume it'll work out all right. And it's, it's intoxicating to, to be able to do that. And then once you allow yourself to be that much of a dumb-dumb and ask questions about, do I have the phone number for this person? Right. Uh, you know, a thousand flowers bloom because you, you, you realize how much stuff you haven't done because there was a secret, super secret hidden dependency that you had not thought about. And a lot of times that hidden dependency is you have just not yet admitted to yourself that you're never going to send, you're never going to reply to this email. But you can't, you can't do that because you're a nice person. And you, you reply to your emails. You reply to your emails fast, even if fast means two years later. You can't get rid of this email. It is now your obligation to feel bad about this email for the rest of your life because you didn't answer it two years ago. So you better keep it with all these other emails that you feel bad about here. And then you get to kind of have your own little ad hoc uh, church. It's like a cathedral in a bathroom. You just to go, get to go and show up and feel sad about your life for a while because that's your albatross and your obligation now. Well, GTD is a way of saying, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to do this now? Are you going to do it later? Do you need more information? Are you going to not do this at all? Is this actually reference material that goes somewhere else? Because how much stuff can you tolerate in your life that really is just a big bag of I'm not sure? And that way lies madness. So that's why I think GTD endures. Now, so anyway, yeah, so there's that. I just talked a lot. Well, I mean, this is good stuff because I think there is a lot of people who have heard you maybe talk about GTD and who we had really? that series a while back. Yeah, it was really good. It yeah. was really good. And so what are you doing instead? Well, here, okay, so yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, again, it's funny because I do feel like a lapsed Christian in some ways. We're like, I don't want anything I say to be taken as like I'm not into GTD because it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, if somebody says what comic, 
should I get? And I don't know anything about them. I can always say Saga. If you're an adult, if you're not a kid, like check out Saga. You know, uh, if you don't like Saga, comics may not be your thing. <laughs> if you don't like GTD, you probably don't want to be organized uh, or you don't want a big system at least. Uh, so wait, no, what was your exact question? Well, oh, what are you, get, what are you doing instead of GTD proper? One of the challenges, one of the reasons 43 folders got popular was that it was scratching an itch that enough people had, not a lot of people, but enough people, which was being usually a geek, uh, usually on a Mac, usually doing knowledge work, right. wanting to be better at that and not having uh, a way or a place to learn about or talk about the sort of tools and methodologies for doing that, which now seems bananas, but that's really actually how it was in 2004. So what 43 Folders did was very heavily focused on stuff like GTD um, as a way of saying, like, here is this toolbox. Here are these different apps that you can use. Here's all of this stuff. What was very clear from the beginning to me was that, to me, was the GT in retrospect, especially, I guess, is that GTD is from a different time. GTD was originally designed to be basically done with a, with a three-ring binder, to basically have a page called projects and another page called tasks. The whole thing of like hooking projects and tasks together, I think is mostly a conceit of people like me and OmniFocus. Like it, that didn't used to be a thing. It didn't used to be that every task had to have a project and a, a context or let alone a due date or a flag or a whatever. David Allen was like, look, look, if you can't do GTD with a piece of paper, you probably can't do GTD. Because GTD is not about what app you're using. It's about the ability to stay up to date and clear about what you're supposed to be working on, which I think is, is brilliant and true. So, but what did become clear was that the idea of context, so you know, like if, you're, if you're a traveling um, director level inside of a corporation, you have context like anywhere. There's something I could do literally anywhere, which is like, think about an idea, right? You have context like write or type, right? I need a computer or a pen to do that. You have things like call. You have things like, used to be, you have a context called office because that's where I do my work. You might even say at work. That's so bananas to me to have a context called at work. That's like, I don't know, it's like having like at, at blue or at green. It just seems so strange to me because I can do my work anywhere. My office is a place. My work is a part of my life. My house is a building. My home life is an entire range of stuff that I have obligations for. So one downside of GTD initially was that things like context were very difficult to uh, adapt to the world of nerds. Because for us, the main context was computer and or web. Right, right. So a lot of the benefit that you got out of slicing all that stuff up, you could burn a lot of cycles trying to figure out like which app you're going to use. Well, that's not really a context. That's You're getting way, way too deep in the weeds when you're doing stuff like ad printer. Like, that's crazy. So that's part of what I sought to do was to develop and try to like take certain elements of this that I felt like weren't really addressed in the original GTD. And so trying to find ways to like make this, I don't know, I don't know. I, I didn't do much to improve on it. David Allen did a great job with it, but just it was a way of saying like, well, if you are a geek, then like, and you're mainly at a computer, how can you still adapt these kinds of things? So that's what that was. So today, why is it not as useful to me today? I really am mostly, if I'm doing work, you know, a lot of my job is like, I'm either doing something related to recording a podcast at a certain time every week, or I'm doing something else. So, you know what I mean? I don't have that many different kinds of things to do anymore. So right. my calendar is a way of saying, here's where your ass needs to be on the planet at this time. <laughs> right. Your ass must be in this spot at 11 o'clock on Tuesdays. Okay, well, here it is. What does it do now? Well, it talks into the mic and then it does show notes. So the thing is, I don't have that much I need to do. I need to like remember to prep for the show. 
But for me, it's just the amount of overhead. I'm sure I could still use it, but the immediate usefulness of it is not as clear as it once was for me. I think that's why. That makes sense. What are you um what are you using right now? Like if you know there's if something occurs to you that you need to do, somebody you need to call, a form you need to fill out, where does that go for you right now? You know, there I have tried a whole lot of to-do list apps, so I'm not even going to say one of them in particular, but I I use email still is like the place that kind of determines the things that I'm going to do. And I use a combination of calendar and to-do list. Calendar is for anything that's time sensitive. I also have reminders, which you kind of turned me on to. And, uh, and then a to-do list app for things that I want to organize a little bit more. And mostly if, if you were talking about like anything that has to do with more than a one-step thing, like, you know, dry cleaners. Mm-hmm. is going to be done in Trello. And I'm still a big, big fan and advocate for Trello. There's so much that they have uh, really, really solved and come up with. I'm looking, It's up on the screen right now. I use it for everything from uh, the software development tasks and roadmaps and details. It's perfect for having little discussions in there. So, yeah, I'm just looking at some of these items right now. Um. Yeah, like the here's one individual little like card uh, that inside of it, I had to write some copy for one of the sections. And inside of this one kind of card that you can then move from one list to another list, there's a little checklist inside of it with comments from different people um, showing the activity of when things were done. It ties into Slack. So if I'm in the Slack room and I complete a task or someone completes a task, like it'll show me there. There's members and labels and checklists, due dates, attachments, so much that you can do all within this one screen. But yet it's so simple and the initial concept of just, oh, I typed a thing and when I was finished, I dragged it over here. And when I wanted to add a note to it, I just clicked it. I mean, it's it couldn't be easier, but if it's if it's a task that I need to get done at a certain time frame in a, at a certain time, then it's definitely a calendar thing. So my calendar is right. more like, tell me where I, where I need to be and what I'm doing when I get there, in general. And then the specific stuff is in Trello, and then things that I I want to do that don't really need much uh, of an explanation are usually in my to-do list. So like I, and I'm using Wonderlist more than anything else right now, right now. Mm-hmm. That's great for teams. It's really good. And also it has, so it's just so simple, you know? Yeah. It, they don't overcomplicate things, but you know, like at my favorite sushi restaurant, I have a list in Wonderlist of my order that I get. So mm-hmm. I know when I go, I like, I want these three pieces in this roll or whatever it is so that I don't have to sit there and wonder about it. Cause their menu stays the same. So I don't have to think when I go there because I've tried almost everything that they make. I know what my favorites are. It's not that I don't want to try new things. I've tried everything on the whole menu. Yeah, but like, again, why, why, would you, why would you want to think about that twice? Right. I've, I now know the things that I like. And when I sit down, it's not, well, should I try this? No, these are the ones I like. Get these. I'm happy every time that I do it. So finding that I, I have that as a to-do list or as a list that I can go in and say, okay, this is what I'm going to get. I no longer have to 
I no longer have to think about that. And I find that that's a skill that's once you kind of master that kind of thinking, not having, I love what you said earlier, that quote of, of not having to think the same thought two times, but it's also like we're, we're getting a new front door in at the house. And my wife has been researching different doors and researching. We have this, what they, I guess they call lights alongside of the door that are like glass panels, tall, thin glass panels. And so she was trying to decide, well, should she get this kind of panel or should she get this one? Or what should she get this with the lead? There's like a lead pattern thing inside of it. Or should she not get the lead pattern inside of it? And she talked to the guy at the door store who said, well, you know, you really can't do a lead design in that that would be anything. So I'm like, well, it's actually, you don't really have a decision here. You know that you want a privacy glass in, in that opening. You know, you know, it's, it's only three or four inches wide, so it's not big enough to do the lead thing. So you don't need to worry. Should I, should I get this? It's the decisions made. You know what I mean? Like there is Mm -hmm. only really one option. Stop thinking about that and go to the next part that you can think about where there are options, you know, and it's so easy in a project like you were talking about to get caught up in those details if you can't really lay them out. But when you lay them out in a very basic way and in a way that's like you're explaining it to a four year old, then it becomes very, very simple and very straightforward. These are the problems that are really there. These are the decisions that we really need to make. And laying them out in something like Trello makes it incredibly easy to just see the problem. Because for me, one of my challenges is always trying to really see and identify the problem. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. You know? Also, I think, you know, our, our minds are like a fret, uh, can, can be like a fretful parent that yeah. wants to try and protect us from what it perceives as harm or negativity, mm-hmm. <clears throat> even if it's something that might be useful to know. So, like, like in that case, I think when you when one feels overwhelmed, it's almost every decision or task feels equally impossible. Yes, because it's you know if you get into the and you know me I'm always with the emotions and the state of mind ideas. Like, right. I think if you don't stop and go like, wait a minute, like or let's say if I arbitrarily had to break this into like, what is the easiest thing here really, or what is the hardest thing on here really? It might be really surprising that there's something on there that you have spent three years avoiding that might actually take two minutes. I feel like this whenever I call somebody at our house, almost always, when I call somebody to fix something at our house, I'm like, I can't believe that like for a hundred bucks, this person came and fixed this thing that hasn't worked for a year. It's not like our quality of life was that degraded, but like it's so silly to me that I live with that for so long without having them just take care of it. Right. But like when you feel overwhelmed, I think you lose that capacity and you go into bunker mode a little bit. And... um you know, in, in your case, having these tools and understanding what they're for is really important. Right. Because, you know, you think about like, what's the difference between Apple Maps and Apple's Contacts app? Well, they're, they're both about locations, right? Well, yeah, kind of. But, you know, they, I use them for different things. The Contacts keeps track of all the information for people that I know and lets me then use that information in the Map app to find it. But, you know, only, only a... a a very unsophisticated person would think that they're both equally useful for the same thing. Right. Right. You know, the whole thing of like, you know, when your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, but you know, and that may sound like I'm, like I'm being glib, but I think a lot of us end up doing that. You know, we might end up fanning ourselves with the map and uh, using the contacts app to try and open a lock. Like that's not what it's for. 
So, you know, when people use their calendar as a to-do list or they use their email inbox as a to-do list, I, I'm, I'm amazed their life isn't in flames. Like, that's, that's bananas. Why would you use a source of input as a way to decide how you're going to spend your day? That's, that would be very odd. That would be like me saying, like, I feel like I can't tell you what I have to do tomorrow until I check, check the mail today. Like, well, why is that? Well, are you four? That's, that's crazy. So, you know, the nice thing about any of these systems, and I guess we should wrap this up. Um, you have one more thing you want to tell me about, though, right? I, I do. Do you want to do that now, or you want me to wrap this? Wrap this. Uh, is it like fad diets, or did you find flaws in their approach? Asks listener Donald. I would enjoy hearing you hash this out. You know, I don't think there's faults in that stuff. I think in some ways, like, you know, it's any person who wants to be a learned person, anybody who wants to have even the tiniest bit of uh, life of the mind, you got to be open to the idea that there's stuff you don't know. And you need to be open to the idea there's stuff that you don't even know how bad you are at. And, you know, books and information are good for that. You don't need to overwhelm yourself with reading every life hack that comes out today, but I think it can sometimes be, be very useful to put yourself into another little world. And one reason I recommend GTD over so many of these other things, I'm sure there are great books and systems out there, but I feel like the ratio of like work you put into GTD versus the benefits you get from it is actually very, very high, especially if you're the kind of person that it could be really good for, which is somebody who has lots of different worlds and different contexts. And one of, one of your points of stress is that you're not even sure what it is you're not doing right now. That's the kind of person that GTD can be so great for. Uh, a link to the book is in the show notes. I suggest checking it out. You can certainly get it from your library. But, you know, for, for me, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I will certainly return to the book again. It's just that the kind of stuff I do right now is, is not... Right, not like you, don't, to you know when to, to kind of put it down, though. You know that it, you don't need it for what you're doing right now. I could probably benefit from it, but at the same time, so much of that book is part of what I do that even when I'm not quote unquote doing GTD, it still heavily influences the way I think about stuff, you know? And, you know, one nice bit of self-diagnosis or self-diagnostics that we can do when something comes along is to look at, look at the situation and ask yourself how much of the, how much of this problem is the world and how much of this problem is you? And an astonishing amount of the time, it's you not the world. The world is the way it is, like deal. And so when that happens, and I go like, is it me? Well, oh, it's me because I'm being really flustered about this. I'm not being rational about this. I'm not, I'm, I'm thinking that everything has to be part of this same big snot ball of problems instead of trying to chip off a couple little boogers I can take care of today. And anybody can do that. Uh, anybody can do that without reading GTD, but reading a book like that can be extremely helpful. So I still do recommend it to people. Tell me about one last thing that you like, please. I would like to tell you about Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an automated investment service with nearly $3 billion in client assets. They manage diversified, continually rebalanced portfolio of index funds on behalf of their clients in a low-cost and tax-efficient manner. Now, in English, what that means is that they make it easier for anyone to get access to really sophisticated, really awesome, diversified investment stuff. They don't have high fees. They don't have account minimums. They don't have like wealth managers who take huge percentages of the money that you make. Like if you want to have access to this kind of stuff, normally you'd be able to, and you'd have to invest like a million dollars. I don't think a lot of us have a million dollars to invest, but with Wealthfront, you don't have to. They charge no trading commissions. And in fact, they're completely free for accounts that are under 10,000 bucks for accounts larger than 10,000. Their management fee is only 0.25% per year. So you're getting all the best modern technology. 
You're getting rigorous investment research. They're cutting out the middleman and they're giving everybody sound investment management. It's really, really awesome. This is not, I just want to be clear about something. Like this is not like for day trading and, and, and like market timing and like short term stuff. This is like, I have some money. I want to invest it for my future, for my family, for my financial health down the road. And I kind of just want to put it there and, and not worry about it and just know that it's going to be reinvested on my behalf, know that it's going to be put where things are growing and know that it's going to become a real nest egg for me. That's what they do. And they make it really easy. And they're doing it for like $3 billion worth of client assets. It's the real deal. Their clients, they have anywhere from like 500 bucks to 10 million bucks. The average investment amount with them is 60,000. But you can start small. You can start at basically nothing. Our listeners, if you go to wealthfront.com slash five by five, our listeners get $15,000 managed all free of charge for life. So in addition to never paying any commissions on that, there's no hidden fees. You won't pay any management fees on your first 15K. So go check it out. Wealthfront.com slash five by five. Thanks very much to Wealthfront for supporting Back to Work. Thank you, Wealthfront. Dan, two hours. We did it again. Done. We helped a lot of people though, don't you think? Yes. Internet of Things. Yes. REM. Yes. Uh, Strange Magic. UUCP. Yes. Gophers, Liartown, Viewmasters, Japan, mm-hmm. Real Estate, Web I don't know why you're, What are you worried about Japan for? Are you going? If you're not going, you don't have to worry. It's easy. Japan's easy. It's like Nietzsche said, it's always out there, you know? Japan's a, a cakewalk compared to South Korea. Trust me on this. Is that right? Yes, it's a fact. Don't touch my mustache. I wouldn't. Okay. Let's button this up. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. Yeah.